He thought he was in control. How wrong he was. Hey, what's up? It's Shane with Dynamics Media, and I'm joined here with Stefan. That's me. And I have a very important question for you. For me? Yeah, oh, yeah, for I guess you. not the audience that can't answer you. Yeah. Hey, guys. I would, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you know the silver-haired god? The what? The silver-haired god. Uh, no. This, you don't know who the silver-haired god is? Uh, I don't know. Raiden from Mortal Kombat? Oh, my God. Cisco. Oh, you're doing that bit from Twisted Metal again? Doing that bit from Twisted Metal again. Uh, we were literally just talking about it, too. Well, that was going to be my cold open, and I kind of I kind of blew it. It was way too cold. Like, I didn't even know what you were doing. Such a good oh, open. Make sure you don't cut that, because that's actually a good show. It deserves the recognition. Point. It really is. Yeah, if, if any of you had any... the, I will say this. If you love Twisted Metal, and you're like, the game, or the show doesn't follow the game... I promise you there are so many Easter eggs in there for you. You're going to love it. And the last episode alone will make up for any shortcomings you think that show has. If you don't care about Twisted Metal at all, and you're just in the cool, funny shows that are like interesting, I highly recommend Twisted Metal. Um, it is It is did, really funny. Did it, you finish it? Like, it? Unexpected. Yes, I finished it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, so good. It was way funnier than I expected it to be because some of the trailers that came out made it look like cringely funny. But it was like not really cringy at all. It's kind of is it actually very good, and it got surprisingly. There's like a few solid emotional beats, which you'll get in like that kind of post-apocalyptic storytelling thing. Like there's got to be like a background of tragedy, and they hit it well enough that it doesn't like seem like a jarring shift in tone, but it still works. So yeah, unexpectedly, really great show. Yeah, definitely. This episode sponsored by Twisted Metal. Yeah, really. This episode sponsored by Calypso. But uh, well, <laughs> oh, speaking no. of. Uh, Speaking of good, um, good shows where, uh, we've got a pretty, you know, I don't want to say a banger. It was pretty good. Uh, I think what was hard for me is we started with the prowler, which just was like top notch to me. Um, but yeah. So what are we going to talk about today? The burning, not the shining, which literally between no, not the shining. Uh, I can see how you can mix those up. Mm. This is like the content is the exact same. But no, um, the, it was really interesting because when we were talking, like we like to tell everyone where they can watch it and literally between last episode's recording and this episode's recording, it was taken off of shutter. So it is no longer f- able to be found on shutter. Um, so it's still on Tubi. I didn't check the other places where I said it was, but it's definitely still on Tubi. So there's that. I watched it on Tubi. That's where I watched it too. But, um, uh, Tubi for all of its greatness, uh, one of the shortcomings is it doesn't have uh, subtitle options, at least not the app on uh, Xbox, which is why I watch it. Um, so I wanted to put it on Shutter so I could turn on the subtitles and make sure that I wasn't missing anything. Uh, and I wasn't actually able to do it, but I don't think I missed anything. So the 2B app on TV has subtitles. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it on a Roku. I mean, I can have it on a Roku. Do you think it would be on that? Yeah, I think so. Yep. All right. Well, audience, this is called learning. It's when you, 
you talk about something that you assumed was just a foregone conclusion and learn that the way you were doing it was just wrong. This episode brought to you by learning. And we learned that Bill Gates hates deaf people. So yeah, because he's responsible for like the version of an app that they make available on that storefront. (laughs) You know, um, so this is the final part of our summer try, uh, try slash a thon. Yeah, we made that kind of hard to say, didn't we? But yeah, the summer yeah, try slash a thon. I, I like it though. It's got a good like sticking point. Um, really cuts through uh, when you say it. But um, yeah, so this is the final part. I think we plan on doing this every summer. Uh, we we talked about doing some kind of merch and some other stuff. Um, but I think we'll we'll let that kind of go till maybe next year or something. But uh, yeah, we we had a blast doing this. Um, I, I love the theme blocks so. I think we have some more planned in the future. I don't know when, but I, I always love when it's like, hey, we have like an ongoing kind of like running. I have running one. I have one simmering, okay, simmering good. on the on the back left burner of my stovetop because I have an idea. <laughs> I just don't know when the best place to do it would be. Like the okay. summer try slashathon is such a good like. Oh yeah, there we go. Slashers summer boom. All of it works. It does say it does say summer, so we're good with. <laughs> then we have a finite amount of numbers because it's try. And then slash because what we're watching, yeah, it's that's like a. So we'll have to see what you come up with. Yeah. Oh no, I have to come up with another name too. Yeah, and that that's yeah. another reason we have to wait to do another one because I have to like try to think of a way to make it a cool, catchy name. You kind of Icarus like real quick, like you know what I mean. You, Straight you came to out, the sun. Yeah. You, yeah. It came out so hot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now but, I'm plunging um, the ocean, covered in my wax wings. Yeah. Just hey, uh, so some quick housekeeping, and uh, thank you for reminding me about this before we started. So, uh, one of our shows, the tilt went on hiatus and that was a show that included myself and, uh, my co-host and co-creator, uh, Nick. So Nick actually started Twitch streaming. Um, you can find him and I'll, I'll put it in the description of the episode, but it's supposed to be angry green balloon. So he goes by AGB and, um, I'll definitely put the link in the, in the chat or in the chat. I'll put the link in the, uh, description but um, right now he's streaming Baldur's Gate 3. So if you're on the fence about buying that game, he's been going through it. Um, he's playing a solo campaign. And then he also has like a multiplayer campaign. So if you're interested in what it looks like with your friends, um, go check it out. It's awesome. We've all been having fun watching him and just kind of flaming him in chat. So dip in there if you're interested. Um, if not, no big deal. But um, And then I think everything else, again, I said one of our other network uh friends is moving and he should be finalized and moved in i think next month so i think their content should start coming back um if you're if you guys listen or watch that stuff so that's all i had do you have anything you want to bring up no nothing nothing you wanted to talk about uh oh no is this the kind of apology i need to do i mean you don't have to do it but I mean, no, you know what? I, I said I was going to do it beforehand in our little planning meeting, and here it is. I did not finish my review of Unwelcome, the full core movie that's on Shudder that I was intending to write a review for. Uh, so I apologize if anyone was checking the website daily, hitting that refresh constantly, trying to see when this story was going to drop. Um, I will finish that up this week uh, and get that to Shane for editing and get it posted. Um I had a good reason for it. I was kind of stressed from work, but I also did say last time I was going to do it, which is not an excuse because work will always exist. How dare you have emotions? 
<laughs> been working on that. That's uh, what the burning's for, right? Yeah, that guy's working through some stuff. Yeah, the burned fella in this movie. Very well. He he did he did pretty well for five years. <laughs> uh, not based <laughs> off the voiceover that we'll get to. But, but yeah, okay. So is that my my cue to segue into the cast crew uh chat here? Hell yeah. All right. The cast, the crew, the burning. Um, so just first things first, the director, uh, uh, Tony Maylam, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of documentaries in, in his background. Um, I think the big one that kind of got him like on the radar of, you know, Hollywood to get him kind of like, you know, narrative direction, you know, standard features, um, was white rock. Um, but he had, a. uh, one that was actually Genesis in concert before that, which I would actually love to see the Genesis in concert <laughs> one. He had a uh, one that was called victory by design. It's about um, automobile racing. He actually had um, a couple of documentaries about like the Olympics, about um, FIFA, stuff like that. So a lot of sports based ones, um, which, and also the FIFA one kind of makes sense. I, I think he's uh, from England. I think he's he Correct. Yeah. Came to Hollywood out of England. He's from uh, London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A uh, handful of um, features: uh, the Riddle of the Sands, Sins of uh, Sins of Dorian Gray, Across the Lake, uh, Split Second, which is actually one that I did see a number of years back. He has some writing credits on a few of those too. Uh, you know, Riddle of the Sands, uh, another one, Phoenix Blue. He directed. He had a writing credit on that. He also had a white uh, writing credit on White Rock, which is interesting because it's a documentary. But I guess you know someone's got to read something to narrate it. <laughs> that's what documentaries <laughs> are. Um, so that's the, that's the man himself, uh, Tony Malam. Uh, I think he, he, she deserves an acting credit too, uh, because throughout this movie, <laughs> he had said in interviews subsequently that a lot of the scenes where the murderer in this is holding up his garden shears, we're just kind of tilting our hat that this murderer is one of those like weapon based slashers. He's very focused on a specific weapon and it's his garden shears in order to make it so that the garden shears were tilted at just the right angle so that it would like reflect light in the way that it does. So stylistically throughout the movie, uh, he had to do it. So most of the scenes where you see the garden shears, like reflecting light in such a cool way, that's mostly him apparently according to interviews anyway. So, so give him, yeah, give this man his, his laurels for that. His 15 minutes of fame. (laughs) Yes. I mean, not just probably the uh, documentaries that I'm sure have actual cultural value, but also holding them garden shears. Um, <laughs> for uh, the credits for the writing, uh, there's like twofold. There's story credit and then writing credits. Uh, story credit, uh, there are two of them. One is uh, a guy named Brad Gray. He's primarily known for his production work. Um, I think he had founded uh, or co-founded, I think it's a... a Brillstein Gray uh, Entertainment, which is now uh, Brillstein Entertainment Partners. He had done production work with... I actually brought this one up just so I could bring up how much I hate a specific movie. But he did production work uh, with uh, Brad Pitt's uh, Plan B Productions. He's like one of the co-founders involved in that. And the reason I hate Plan B is... Shane, do you remember? Mm, No. (laughs) That's because of... It's not not Plan A. No, it's because of World War Z. 
the movie that just that, ignored an oh, that, entire book that is amazing. That really good zombie movie? You this is it. This is breakup material. This is our last episode. <laughs> Look, it would have been a fine uh infection movie. I can't say zombie because they didn't eat anyone. If it hadn't been called World War Z, World War Z being a amazing zombie novel that has nothing to do with that movie. <laughs> and I I blame mostly Brad Pitt, but because Plan B was involved, I now have to uh, blame Brad Gray, which isn't cool because he actually did pass away. <laughs> but death does not absolve you from your guilt for World War Z. Um, he was also probably his, his uh, biggest credit was he was CEO of uh, Paramount from uh, 2005 to uh, 2017. So, uh, yeah, that little known company. <laughs> have you ever heard of him? Yeah. Uh, so he has a lot of production credits just by nature of his relationship with that company and stuff like that. Yeah, um, like the Sopranos. Was that was that Paramount? It, well, he was a he was an executive producer on the Sopranos. Yeah, but that's the thing with like producers. Like, I can't just write down every single thing they produce. So I'd just be here all night listing off everything they've ever produced. So that's hey, folks, of- that's our new show. Uh, we <laughs> are just going to run through producer credits. It's going to hit up this dude's Wikipedia page and just read things that he's produced. So enjoy. Um, yeah, moving on then from Brad Gray. Uh, the other story credit is, oh no, this name looks like it's Harvey Weinstein. Uh, and in my notes, I said gross. Boo. And that's all I put. So we're not going to get into this. Like we know who he is. We know what he is and what he's done. And there's no reason to celebrate his accomplishments here. Um, now getting into the writing credits. Uh, the first one I brought up is Bob Weinstein. Also gross. Um, he is claimed he didn't know what his brother was up to. I'm like, come on. Like you guys work together constantly. And uh, Bob Weinstein had some impropriety allegations of his own. So uh, I don't feel like that they're all that different. So not going to talk much about Bob Weinstein either. He wrote this. Uh, Google him if you want to learn more about it. But the other writer, uh, who's actually kind of interesting, uh, is uh, Peter Lawrence. Now, he is a writer of, uh, I think he does a lot of novellas. Uh, He's done uh, various screenwriting. He has various screenwriting credits. um, And he has a handful of novels as well. And then also like a fictionalized autobiography that he had done. Kind of diving into the screenwriting credits, since this is primarily a movie podcast. The Sins of Dorian Gray, which you might recognize as one of the credits from the director, uh, Tony Mayhem. Some other ones, Terminal Choice, High Score, Globy, and The Stolen Shadows. Uh, but more important to me was his TV shows, Thundercats, Silverhawks, Tiger okay, Sharks, <laughs> Foxes, Peter Pan and the Pirates, Adventures of T-Rex, Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego, uh, Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, Thundercats again because it's the 2011 reboot. Um so this guy is like, well, I don't know what it is about like people who write horror movies also being like prolific children's television writers. But I do love this trend and I hope it continues forever. I have a, a list of some of his books. This isn't a book podcast, but that fictionalized autobiography that I'd mentioned was uh, Fishing for Crocodiles. He has like a, a horror. Uh, I think it's like a horror, uh, but steampunk series called Frankenstein Vigilante. Another one called uh, Flash Cord, which was uh, co-written with a guy named uh, Chris Trengrove. And then again, like uh, he had a handful of horror um, 
novellas, Loom, Night of the Dogs, Full Moon. I actually was looking up at some of those and they look kind of interesting. So I'm going to see if they're in print uh, at my local bookstore. Um, oh, I just checked my uh, internet and there are no bookstores anymore. <laughs> so that's a bummer. Um, probably the first time I really expected you to react to that in some way. That was pretty funny. Leaving you hanging. <laughs> you know, in the South, they call those kindling stores. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you is good. Got him in one. Got him in one. Um, um, sorry to all our southern listeners. We've got like four of them. So, well, hey, we're, t- we're taking off in Indiana. So, that's the Midwest. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're good. Okay, we're solid. Yeah, bookstores are safe there. Just don't you insult corn. I swear to God. Yeah, I swear to God. All right. Uh, but uh, I actually did write down the music credit here, or one of the music credits. There's actually a couple. Because uh, there's a very specific like bluegrass segment that yeah. is not this same like musician, uh, but the most of the music was done by uh, Rick Wakeman, uh, you know the oft member of Yes and also um, solo musician in his own right. Um, I wrote down that he had also done the film score for uh, White Rock, the documentary from the director of this film. Uh, also, Creep Show Two with Les Reed. Um, and then just like, you know, yes, people know, yes, progressive rock band. I don't think I have to explain that. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a famous musician. He's got a lot of awesome work and it's probably a good part of the reason that the soundtrack in this movie quite slaps. And there's one scene in particular where I think you can tell that it's him and it's when the hell, the police helicopter is like coming up to where like the, at the end where they're kind of like fighting Cropsy, we'll get there. Oh, but, you're, yeah, um, getting ahead of me because I actually did make note of the music change there, which was very different. Like, I liked it throughout, but that was such a different vibe. That is the that most scene. yes organ line I've ever heard in my entire life. I actually wrote can, that it sounded like an organ. <laughs> yeah, so you can tell it's him. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, so Rick Wakeman, uh, and they actually even in, uh, talk about how I think that there was an album that came out afterwards of the music from this. I don't know if it was immediately following it, or if it was further down the road, uh, I don't know how it did, but it did exist. Mm. Um, special effects, uh, a little known guy named Tom Savini. <laughs> if we, we've, we've never mentioned, have we ever mentioned uh, one of <laughs> Pittsburgh's favorite sons, Tom Savini before on this <laughs> or talk about him for long periods of time in two different episodes. <laughs> I feel like we probably don't have to go too much into Tom Savini's credits. Uh, if you want a full listing of pretty much, I mean, not everything. It's his, yeah. Wait three years and listen to all our episodes. This incredibly prolific career. But uh, I think that in Prowler, the, the Prowler episode, part one of this summer try slashathon, I think that I covered it pretty well. Solid plug. Um, solid plug for another episode <laughs> in this exact same podcast. Um, but I did think it was one thing that was funny was, uh, so in the, you know, the Prowler episode, I mentioned that he did uh, Friday the 13th. I mentioned that he did Friday, uh, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, uh, you know, because the director of the, the Prowler had done uh, final chapter, but he did turn down uh, part two, Friday the 13th, part two for this movie. So I think I even questioned why he wasn't involved in the series more. And this is part of it is he opted to take this job rather than that one. Um, so cool little piece of trivia which is wild yeah i um so like i was reading up on that and it was 
I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell, like, with these kinds of things, what knowledge is like someone just put it into like an article because there was a rumor or what's actually something that he said in an interview. And it's so hard to find interviews uh, from you know, before YouTube, basically. <laughs> like if I get, right. I can look up anything now, but like from from back then. But allegedly, one of the reasons he didn't want to do part two was because he did not think it made any sense why the little boy that was Jason in the last one is now an, an actual entire full grown adult in the next one and then ready to murder people. <laughs> He's like, like, that's what it said is it didn't make any sense. And I'm like, I don't know if he uh, it, like actually said that, but it actually for me is something I never thought about is how did he go from just a little boy to now just an adult man living in the forest with a burlap sack on his head. Really makes you think. First I was a boy, and then I was a bat. Is quoting the Pete Holmes Batman skits again? Yeah, that's that's my that's the depth of my horror <laughs> uh, comedy. Well, as Pete Holmes Batman. Yeah, I mean, it's some would even say it's not even horror. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the cast here. We have a lot of television credits to go through. Well, hey, I had a question. I had a question with Tom Savini. Okay, so. The Prowler was released on June 26, 1981. This was released on May 8th, 1981. So were they making these at the same time? Like, did you find any research about like, like was one before the other one? Because what's interesting and we can get into it like further into the plot, but you can definitely tell stylistically that it's Tom Savini. Like there, there are so many calling cards to him in this movie, but like, I felt like the stuff in the Prowler was more him than this was. So I didn't know if like they did they do burning first and he learned some tricks and used it for the Prowler. So I didn't know if you saw anything like that. You know, I actually don't know which one was filmed first, considering they both came out around the same time and they both were listed as having been filmed in, in 1980. Right. Uh, based on the timeline that I understand, I think that this one I believe that it was actually fall of 1980 that the Prowler was filmed. Mm -hmm. And since this one deals with so many outdoor shots and it was filmed in like the upstate New York area, if I'm not mistaken, it would have had to have been the summer because you would notice like the changing of the leaves. Right. So, I mean, I don't know for sure, but if I was going to make an educated guess, I would say that this was being filmed before the Prowler. And I, I agree with you entirely because I think that this movie, even though you still have Savini's distinctive style, it really does feel like they compensate for some of the shortcomings in the time that they could prepare for some of the effect scenes by putting them in darkness or obscuring like the light a bit, as opposed to in the prowler where one of the things that made some of those so amazing is you see everything that's happening. Like it's this full view. Correct. Yep. And I think part of that too, is that this one, I get the feeling that the production was a little bit more rushed. Mm Mm-hmm. Then the Prowler, like it seems like in the Prowler, I'd mentioned that he had entire days to focus on a single sequence, like a single kill sequence. Yeah, I get the feeling that this one was not the same, that the effect sequences were being a bit more rushed. But um, that's an interesting question. I actually would like to look into that. So, um, you know, maybe potential fodder for a future apology if I find out that I was wrong. But I would say just judging by the style and judging by what I know about when they were filmed. I think that this was probably filmed before the Prowler. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of what I was, it's kind of what I was thinking too. Cause it looked like he took a lot of stuff from this movie that he was like, 
ah, if I could do this again, I'd do this. And I, he, and he did it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not to play our hand too much, but yeah, yeah. I would say that the, the probably is kill effects are like the gold standard. Like there's not a lot that's going to live up to some of those skills. Right. Yeah, for sure. But I think not to get ahead of ourselves, but I think there's one scene in this that comes pretty close. Uh, one specific scene, but we'll get there. Yep. I know um, which one it is too. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. <laughs> like it, it's probably the most famous scene in this movie. Um, but anyways, uh, back to now we're uh, moving on to the cast in order of billing. Uh, we have uh, Todd as played by Brian Matthews, you know, the um, the male counselor that's the supervising the trip that leads to a lot of situations, murderous situations, one might say. Um, a lot of television credits for him, about 20 episodes of Young and the Restless, a couple of Love Boat, about 10 of Days of Our Lives, uh, 34 of something called Santa Barbara. No idea what that even is. I just bring it up because I noticed that someone later has it. Uh, but he's done some feature films too, uh, Miracle at Beekman's Place, uh, Hull High. Uh, it's kind of funny that uh, you know you and I were talking before this about fighting video games, and mm-hmm. uh, he actually had a, a voice role in the Samurai Showdown, the most the motion picture. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so, so yeah, you and I were talking about uh, Samurai Showdown specifically. Um, I've actually never seen that movie. Like the, I want to, but I don't know where it is, so I'll have to find it. Yeah, yeah, but that that's pretty much the end of his credits. I think that was in 94, 96, something like that. And mm-hmm. um, afterwards, he actually uh, moved to uh, Austin, Texas, and he became a uh, marriage and family therapist. So he he left the acting game entirely uh, to, you know, get a regular folk job, I guess you'd say. I don't, what do you call it when someone, like, leaves show business and just gets, like, a real job? Which seems, out. <laughs> seems all right. Well, that's re- re- kind of mean. So like we all sell outs because none of us are Hollywood actors in here. Yes. Ah, fair enough. No lies detected. Uh, next cast member is uh, Michelle as played by uh, Leah Ayers. 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 I wanted to name the first of her credits I noticed, which was Bloodsport. Got to bring it up. So good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something called All That Jazz. I don't know what it is, but uh, the last time we mentioned it, the guy was in uh, The Jazz Singer, but not that one. And that's like another jazz involved one. Um, she was in uh, 273 episodes of The Edge of Night, which I had not heard of until we covered The Prowler. But like, we're now I'm seeing like people who are in so many episodes of The Edge of Night, and I don't have no idea what that is. Uh, she's had a lot of television credits, short stints on Fantasy Island, Love Boat, A-Team, St. Elsewhere, 21 Jump Street, Freddy's Nightmares, Married with Children. Is that where the ellipses are in that? Yeah, it's Married Ellipses with Children. No one ever, mm-hmm. everyone always says Married with Children. No one says Married with Children because you have to put the pause in. It's in the title. It takes uh, too long to say, I think. <laughs> well, that I didn't write it. Uh, Walker, <laughs> Texas Ranger. So you don't mix them with the other Walker. Uh, the Journey of Alan Strange, which was a Nickelodeon show from when I was like in uh, I think junior high or something. Uh, it was on SNCC, which was a block of shows that were on Nickelodeon in like the early 2000s or something like that. Hell yeah. Uh, and then a few episodes of Sliders, which you love to see. Next up is, I guess you'd call him our final boy, uh, Alfred, uh, as played by Brian Backer. A few like big, like very uh, 80s TM movies, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, The Money Pit, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. He was in a Perry Mason like movie, like TV movie that was made at the time. 
he was on six episodes of Santa Barbara, which I wanted to bring up because I don't know if they're the same episodes as Brian Matthews, who played Todd. But it's interesting that they both were on the same television program. And then uh, uh, Loser, if you remember the movie Loser, mm-hmm. he had a role in that. I think that was Jason Biggs, who was the star of Loser, right? So he wears uh, like a goofy, floppy-eared hat or something? No. Um, yes, 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 yes. Right. And that was Teenage Dirtbag. That's the how that song. Wait, from Loser? I'm, I'm almost positive that that's when that song was tied to this movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Because the music that's video, a- I'm almost positive the music video is this i think think. that's awesome i didn't know that let me look it up well keep going that makes it yeah just uh vamp for a little while well the good thing you said that because uh vamps was another movie that he was in vamps (laughs) that was his his final credit so yeah unless you uh were able to with the swiftness of uh hermes google whether whether that loser was the teenage dirtbag movie it it was yeah it was Um, nice (laughs) yeah Man, I was so good at stalling. That was really cool. I'm so professional. I'll edit it all out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I won't. Well, we'll find out. Uh, next up is uh, maybe my favorite character. Uh, not that I liked him, but because he was just... <laughs> There's a reason for it. I'll get into it when I talk about the plot. But Glazer, mm-hmm. as, as played by Larry Joshua, a lot of a lot of television stuff on his resume. I'm going to focus up on some of the more important ones. He had... Uh, Dances with Wolves. Maybe you've heard of it. It's like Avatar, but uh, with uh, with wolves. Uh, with wolves, yeah. Well, <laughs> I was gonna say with Native Americans and then a cavalry officer, but yeah, same idea. Uh, <laughs> Unforgiven, which is a western starring Clint Eastwood. Um, very, it's a very good western. Yeah, uh, The Shadow, featuring uh, Thirty Rocks Alec Baldwin. I as, love that movie. As a millionaire Lamont Cranston, Man About Town. Uh, several shows, you know, Nash Bridges, Silk Stockings, the Friday, the 13th series, Miami vice Conan, the adventure, uh, getting in there later, uh, the pretender, which is a sick show X files, which is also a sick show. Uh, he was in Sam Raimi's, uh, Spider-Man as the wrestling promoter, which you might remember. He was the one who didn't give Peter his money. So Peter like let the guy who robbed him leave. And he's like, <laughs> you, why don't you stop him? You know, he's getting away with my money. And he, Peter's like. I missed the part where that's my problem. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That's from Spider-Man. Uh, Cradle to the Grave, the number two for the, the the word two. And then, you know, more recent shows like um, Castle, CSI New York, Nip Tuck. Um, so that brings us to the end of his career. Um, hold on. Where is it? I have to turn the page. I don't want the audience to know that I use paper notes, although they can probably hear me turn the page in this. Have you seen the shadow? I I just want to go back to this for a second. Have you seen that movie? I have, but I'm going to be honest with you. I mix it up with two other movies and I don't know which is which in my mind when I think Uh, about it. The Phantom? No. With with Billy Zane? No, I know the Phantom with Billy Zane well. Uh, Dark Man with Liam Neeson. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I get that. And then Dick Tracy with whoever's in Dick Tracy. Okay. I think his name's Dick. No, not the yeah, not the character, not the titular Anyways, character. So like, this movie is crazy. It's about like, it's about the shadow. So Alec Baldwin's character fighting like the descendant of like Genghis Khan, and he's like making like an atomic bomb. It's fucking out of control. It's bonkers. I used to love that movie. Sorry. You know, to- now that you've said it, maybe I have only seen Dark Man and Dick Tracy because I don't. Okay, we'll that watch the shadow. Of- it's so wild. <laughs> 
but it's weird because he has those moments where his like eyes like flash. It's weird. It's so weird. Well, that's how he knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Yeah. (laughs) But anyhow, uh, next up is uh, my second favorite character. Probably probably my actual first favorite is Dave as played by George Costanza himself. uh, Jason Alexander. And I don't even have to go through his credits because we know what he's famous for. That's right. The hotel farce featuring an orangutan called Dunstan checks in. It's Such number a good one movie. You, it's number one, on. Phil. You be careful. <laughs> Cause I love that movie. So be, be kind. I, uh, it's one of those movies that I just refuse to rewatch it. Cause I have to assume, have to assume that it doesn't hold up, but it's also the reason why I know, uh, the scientific name of orangutan is uh Pongo Pygmaeus. Because of Paul Rubens <laughs> when he comes in as the exterminator hunting for the <laughs> hunting for Dunstan. That movie has to that, that movie has to uh, check out. It has like to hold up. Yeah. Well, definitely, it may not check out, but you know what it does do. Checks in. Thank you. <laughs> Fucking, I thought you were gonna let that go. I was. I like, wasn't. I, like, I set couldn't him allow up. it. All right, thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I don't really have to go through like you know Jason Alexander is very fun, very famous, uh, or and very funny. He's both of those things. Uh, I did uh, like his stint and uh, Return of Jafar, and then the Aladdin TV series as Abba Small, uh, Cyborg Man, and uh, the. Uh, Harley Quinn TV series, Hugo, the gargoyle in the hunchback of Notre Dame and many of the sequels and other appearances of that same character, which I didn't realize he actually continued to play that character in like some of like the side content. So mm-hmm. good on him. Um, but yeah, no Jason Alexander. I don't feel like I to spend too much time on him. He's very famous. Next up is uh, Eddie um, as played by uh, Ned Eisenberg. He has a variety of credits. Uh, I guess I can move through a few of them. Slayground, Equalizer, Miami Vice, Moving Violations, uh, Last Man Standing, the Bruce Willis movie. That's like the, so uh, good. Yeah, the second remake of Yojimbo. Isn't it yeah. Yojimbo? Yeah, the Kurosawa. It's film. so good. If if you haven't seen that movie, like go watch it. It's fantastic. It's one of the best like Western adaptations that you'll see. Like it's fantastic. Well, yeah, because it's very much like uh, if you think about something like Yojimbo, which is uh, what Jedi Geki, I think is the name of the film genre that Yukira Kurosawa was working on with those samurai films. Mm-hmm. So you have that initial film, Yojimbo, that Kurosawa did. Then you have our own mythologized past, which is the Old West, which Sergio Leone covered the exact same you know basic storyline in A Fistful of Dollars. And then you have this one, which is an attempt to use like the prohibition era gangster aesthetic as like another, which is another mythologized timeline. I think you'd argue about how successful it is, but I think it's interesting as an exercise in understanding, you know, what Kurosawa's project was, what, you know, Leon's uh, project was and trying to take the same archetype and apply it to it. It's such an interesting exercise and definitely not what our listeners came here for. <laughs> No, what's interesting though is because those Kurosawa films were a callback to the early cowboy western films. Not all of them, but some of them. Like they, so they they borrowed a lot of that like from each other. I thought it was interesting. But anyways, we Well yeah, but well like the that's the thing is like the Jedi Geke uh Jedi Geki uh genre does not live and die on Akira Kurosawa. So right. he was working both within like you can't argue that he wasn't probably influenced by, you know, John Ford, some of the other like great filmmakers oh, like yeah this, like expansive for, western like for sure the aesthetic 
and stuff like that. But like working within a separate, you know, thematic mold that mm-hmm. was, you know, similar in so many ways to the way that we idolize the old West. Do they like, you know, the feudal Japanese era of like Ronin and Samurai and all that. But also it's a reason why, uh, what is it? Uh, who's a contemporary of uh, Kurosawa that a lot of people point to is because they say that uh, Kurosawa, some like critics say that he was too Westernized in his storytelling. And was it Ozu? Am I thinking of Ozu? I don't know. I probably shouldn't try to say who it is without looking it up, but I think it was Ozu um, who was doing what is less accessible to Western audiences, but is more in line with the cultural tradition of Japan which is mm-hmm. a super interesting critique to have. Anyhow, let's get back to this uh, movie about a burnt guy murdering folks. Um, so I'm still on Eddie's credits because we went on an entire thing in Ned Eisenberg's credits. Who we died recently, thing. actually, which is crazy. I didn't know that. No, so, did he really? R.I.P. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even February catch that. Tw- February 27th, 2022. Oh, man, that's terrible. I didn't yep. know. R.I.P. The real one. No, for sure. Yeah. Uh, primary Colors, a civil action. Uh, Head of State, the Chris Rock comedy, which I think is underrated. (laughs) Million Dollar Baby. Um, And here's probably one of my favorite of Ned Eisenberg's credits. Okay. So he played one single character in seven episodes of Law and Order. I believe it was an opposing attorney who was one of the the recurring uh, nemeses of, um, you know, Jack McCoy. He played two characters in Law and Order Criminal Intent. And then he played three characters across 24 episodes of Law and Order SVU. So if my math checks out here, he has played five characters across three television shows that take place in the same universe. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. There's, there's something fun for you. Uh, but more recent work, like I guess, I guess his last work then is uh, uh, Mayor of Easttown. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, The Blacklist. So he's been in uh, a few episodes of all of those things. So really sad to hear his passing. That that sucks. Yeah, unless they're wrong. I mean, but IMDb is usually never wrong about that. Uh, usually someone checks it out. Yeah, hopefully not. If not, I guess you'll just have to issue an apology uh, next week. And then also one to me personally for bringing me down. Nah, it looks like he died of cancer. It was pretty bad. So. Oh, man. Like, yeah. You didn't have to check it now. All right. Anyways. Next character is... It's all on IMDb. It says it right in the thing. I don't I don't have it open. I'm reading my notes. <laughs> I don't pay is, you to read. <laughs> that's, that's Well, you don't pay me, but that is my job here. <laughs> uh, so anyways, uh, next up is Sally, as played by Carrick Glenn. Um, pretty small list of credits here. 18 episodes on The Doctors, uh, something called Bill, something called Girls Night Out, night spelled N-I-T-E, and then Supervisors was her last credit. So not a, a ton of credits or her, although I guess in an interview in uh, 2013 or something like that, uh, Jason Alexander uh, was asked what his favorite part of filming uh, The Burning was, and he said, looking at Carrot Glenn. So she has that going for her, if not the longest <laughs> resume in Hollywood. Next up uh, is Karen, played by Carolyn Houlihan. Uh, she was Miss Ohio USA, I think, the year before they filmed this. So 79, they filmed this in 80, released it in 81. And then the only other credit besides like the, they actually had a credit for her for the pageant as being uh, Miss Ohio USA. And then a sex comedy called A Little Sex, which I guess according to the reviews was kind of funny, but very forgettable, which I agree with because I've never heard of it. Um, so those are about all her credits. 
Uh, next up is Woodstock, as played by Fisher Stevens. So let's get the elephant in the room out of the way right away. Okay. He was he was in Short Circuit one and two as uh, uh, playing an Indian man, like not Native American, but from India, Indian man, kind of brown face adjacent, definitely problematic. <laughs> Look, <laughs> so let's just get it out of the way. No one went there to see that. We all went there to see Johnny Five hang out with Steve Gutenberg in the first one. And then the second one, I guess, to see Johnny Five do horrible predictions or horrible uh, impressions of what gang members do, which I think is the only thing I remember from Short Circuit 2. He was in uh, Super Mario Brothers, the movie, not the recent Chris Pratt one, the uh, the one with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Uh, The good one. Yeah, he played Iggy. (laughs) Yes, the good one. Um, You know, the. I think there's an argument to be had about like commercial success versus like cult success. And I think that the two super Mario movies put them side by side and ask people to pick and they, you'll understand like the, the challenge of like understanding what makes a movie like objectively or subjectively good. I have such an interesting anecdote about this movie and I know we'll lose listeners if I keep doing this, but like <laughs> I have to say it. So when they were when they were making and like trying to plan how they were going to make the Super Mario Brothers movie the, the original um they like couldn't get anyone to to help work with them and they had someone like for special effects and like set design and stuff and it was the guy from Blade Runner that did Blade Runner and they're like nah I don't think that's the way we want to go and then they hired some other guy and I think something happened and uh he ended up bailing so they're like fuck what do we do well, I guess call the Blade Runner guy. That's why that movie looks like Blade Runner is because the only person they had left to actually help them make the movie was the guy that did all the special effects for Blade Runner. You know, that explains a lot of <laughs> it totally does. Like all the weird, like cyberpunk stuff, all the weird concrete architecture and like futuristic stuff. It was pretty wild. So yeah, it has, a, it has a, a whole look. different vision for that movie. Clearly. So. Yeah, no, it had a look and none of it screamed uh, Mushroom Kingdom to me. Yeah, or, yeah, bad trip. Uh, Let's finish out with Fisher Stevens, though. Um, You know, uh, Hackers is another one. Uh, He had a bunch of TV work, Numbers Lost, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Law and Order Criminal Intent, Homicide Life on the Street, Uh, One for the Money, which is a movie is based on a series of books that was, I think, supposed to be an entire franchise, but it burned out on one. Uh, LOL. Starring Miley Cyrus, um, you know, another show, Legend Legend of Korra, which people may have heard of. Oh, Wes Anderson, he worked with a number of times. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Isle of Dogs, French Dispatch. Oh, Asteroid City, the newest one. He was in that. I, I mm-hmm. think a smaller role in that one. Uh, he was 20, Blacklist. Uh, yeah, yeah, Blacklist, uh, like 24 episodes of uh, Succession, which is one of those big shows. It's like always nominated for Emmys, but I've never seen. He was also in uh, the... Uh, Coen Brothers, uh, Hail Caesar, which is one of those like movies that have a title that seems like something I'd really like. And then it turns out I won't actually like it because it's not actually about ancient Rome. Because I ever tell you about like there's that George Clooney political like intrigue movie called Ides of March. And when I saw mm-hmm. there's a movie coming out called Ides of March. I'm like, oh, man, it's gonna be all about like, you know, maybe Caesar's like rise to like dictator. And then he like he has to be destroyed by the Senate or maybe it'll be about like the, his ex- his like his uh, assassination. And then about like, you know, the civil war that follows and the formation of the second triumvirate. And instead, it's just like a stupid political thriller. <laughs> Stop taking cool names from Roman history and making them boring movies. 
Although Hail Caesar is kind of funny, but still. Yeah, but no one's ever going to be able to use that. Well, I just would love to see an Ides of March movie that's actually about like that era of Roman history. Yep. Next up, we've got our murder boy, Cropsy, as played by Lou David. Uh, Come Back Charleston Blue, The Gumball Rally. I've heard of none of these. The Ivory Ape, The Exterminator, uh, The Last Dragon. Uh, I guess he had a reputation for being a big burly dude, which checks out because uh, in those scenes where you see Cropsy next to another person, he is a behemoth. Um, but his other roles must not have been that big because his uh, picture on IMDb is of uh, burnt up Cropsy face, which is kind of messed up because like they spend the entire movie not revealing it and then to just show it on his IMDb page really gives you know gives it away. I'll smash through the next few. These are just like uh, bit players, but uh, a couple of them get called out on the plot, so I think might as well mention them. There's a uh, tiger is uh, played by Shelley Bruce. Uh, she was in this and then Isabella in the Magic Brush. Uh, we've seen her only credits on IMDb, uh, but then in the trivia, it did say she was a cancer survivor. So awesome. Glad she made it through that. Next up was uh, uh, Barbara, who they only say her name once. So in my notes, I always put her as uh, Dave's girlfriend because it seems to be the girl who Dave is dating, like Jason Alexander's character. But I did notice on like my third, I think, watch through of this that it was her name gets called out once. Uh, while, uh, I think it's, uh, Sally is on the way to the shower and she's leaving the shower. And that's like the only time they ever say her name in the first Uh, like 10 minutes. Yeah. Like if you're not like taking notes, you're never going to get it. And I was taking notes, still didn't get it. That's uh, Shara Chodoff. She was only in like this and then an episode of the equalizer in the eighties and then nothing until something called mother's house in 2011. So talk about a hiatus, but (laughs) uh, she might be back on the scene. Keep an eye out. Uh, a character called Marnie is played by uh, Bonnie Dorosky. Uh, she had a handful of credits before she became a talent agent and has been doing that since the, uh, the mid nineties, probably the, another big name, uh, the, not the biggest name. Cause we have Jason Alexander in here, but arguably bigger name possibly is uh, Sophie is played by Holly Hunter in her first on-screen credit. I believe, uh, I think she said that this is what got her her SAG card. You know, some pretty classic movies like Raising Arizona, Broadcast News, uh, Copycat, which was like a serial killer movie that brought her about as close as she would ever come again to the horror genre. Uh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? The Incredibles and Incredibles 2, Nine Lives, uh, Saving Grace, which she also produced. She's the main character in that. Batman versus Superman, where she plays that senator that gets blown up. The Big Sick, which is an underrated movie, in my opinion. Uh, And then recently episodes of succession and then Mr. Mayor with Ted Danson, which I actually like Mr. Mayor a lot. And I like Ted Danson a lot. So next up is Diane. That's played by Kevin Ken, uh, Kevin Kendall. Uh, She was in national lampoons, uh, European vacation and then the boys next door. And that's about it. And then finally is fish as played by J.R. McKechnie. And this is it for him, but I have to bring him up because fish is pretty prominent in this movie until he dies spoiler alert fish isn't going to live to the end of this movie how dare right. you <laughs> yeah how dare i have been the one to have murdered him so do you have anything you want to add to that i kind of blasted no, through I, the end there there's a lot of characters there's a lot of people i didn't mention too there's a lot of like yeah one or two scenes or a lot of other people and especially the girls group i don't know if this has anything to do with the uh the weinsteins who are a big part of this movie for some reason, it focuses mostly on the male characters and doesn't spend as much time with the female characters. 
So we barely get any screen time or get to know who like half of them are. That's fair. That can't, no, that can't be part of it. Right. Never. Anyhow. Yeah. Well, now that you brought that gem to light, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we head on, head on over to the, uh, plot description. Plot description. Hopefully you nice. didn't affect over that. Cause that was, yeah, that was, ba- that was a bad version. Hold on. Let me try again. Plot description. I don't know what that was even better. All right. Third time. Let's do this. All right. All right. Plot description. Sorry, you might cut out. What? Did it really? No, no. Just uh, man. <laughs> All right, let's go. Am I done? Can I do I have to keep doing this or can I be done? Smash cut to opening. <laughs> There's uh, something called uh, Camp Blackfoot. Um, we see some, we see like a rickety looking cabin, some flashlights, you know, in the window. Um, there's a bunch of boys asleep and then somewhere in the corner of the cabin are a handful of boys in the darkness. They're all kind of whispering about scaring the hell out of somebody. Uh, the person being, uh, Cropsy who you gather that he's drunk and mean and, you know, they really want to give him the business with some kind of prank. We don't actually see what they're doing, but we hear them mention about, uh, using candles and needing to, uh, bring matches do like a put your hands in thing to like solidify their pact. I think at one point they, uh, they say each other's names, like go around and say like, you know, you know, you are you in, you are you in, you are you then like to tell them, tell us the audience who all of them are. Well, except one, I guess, but they go through and they tell us who they all are and none of them are in the movie again. (laughs) So it's like, as opposed to the rest of the movie, we have to find out who everyone is through like context. These guys just say their names and are not going to be part of the movie. Um, these guys at the beginning yeah yeah so not one of them's in the movie are are you kidding uh you didn't watch closely because you don't know you don't see the last person until the flashback later oh okay my bad i'm like i definitely that's what i said i said except one Uh, but we don't know that yet because they don't show us that i'll just cut this out then i guess i know like we can talk about that do you want me to spoil no, no, go ahead. Because it. It, the movie doesn't reveal it, but it does give us a couple hints throughout. Yeah, let's let's keep it. Let's keep this one in the dark. Keep this I'll one. Let, you keep this one up. in the dark. Like some of the kills in the movie are too much in the dark. All right, yeah, yeah cut uh, that. Yeah, I'm talk about <laughs> well, I mean, we're gonna talk about it, but yeah. But anyways, they leave the cabin to go to their uh, future prank victims' home. Uh, the cabins. I put in my notes. These cra- cabins and these things always look so rickety. I would not stay in them. Like back when I was a kid, my mom had like this old brooder house in our backyard. I would rather stay in that than some of these cabins, a brooder house being like a place where you kept chickens or whatever, you know, <laughs> so he's like an old shed. So anyways, uh, the boys move through the darkness, carrying the box that contains the item that we don't see, but it's meant to spa- uh, scare this cropsy that they have, uh, such ire with. They arrive at the caretaker's cabin, you know, because there's caretaker on it. 
they go, uh, he, the ringleader of the group says, go around the back. And then, uh, they're all like, let's do it. And then the ringleader goes into the cabin. Um, I actually really like the use of darkness in this scene. Uh, sometimes in this movie, I kind of annoyed with the use of darkness, but here it's pretty effective because we don't know where he's going or what he's doing. Uh, there's some creaky boards that kind of like ratchet up the tension, but he gets to his, uh, to Cropsy's bed. Uh, we get a little jump scare where Cropsy sits up in his sleep, but nah, he's, he's still asleep, even though he's clearly awake and then rolls over and then, you know, it's still asleep. Uh, so you see the ringleader, uh, light some light, a match and then light, whatever the thing is that we still don't see. So it's going to be like a really quick, like flash jump scare kind of thing. There's a kind of, uh, tense synth music that starts up and it's actually less of music than like kind of a pulse and right. you'll recognize. Yeah. You would obviously have recognized it throughout the movie, uh, as being kind of Cropsy's like calling card as like a slasher. Like basically when he's around, you'll hear like that, like. What is it? What would you call that? Like a low kind of pulsing tone kind of. Yeah. Just like a drone note. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like, like I was saying, it's not music. It's more like a tone. Um, yep. But in any case, the uh, ringleader kid goes around to the window where the other boys are that are right by like Cropsy's bed. They start like knocking on his window. Cropsy's not waking up. Part of the reason I think is because they'd mentioned that he was kind of a drunk. So he was probably boozed up which is why he makes a stupid mistake here in a second because they're howling and knocking with more uh, like freneticness to try to like wake him up. Cropsy finally wakes up, looks over and sees the thing, which is uh, like a human skull with like worms crawling in the face, but like, like candles in the eyes. And that was what they had to light was the candle eyes. And Cropsy uh, is scared. Hey, good. We did it. We scared him. Oh no. He makes a rookie mistake and kicks the, uh, flaming skull onto his blanket and lights his feet on fire. Next to his gas can. Uh, no, I was, like, was going to say, possibly, there can't be possibly something else convenient <laughs> to make him even more on fire. Oh yeah, there's a gas can, which he also knocks over with his on fire feet and becomes an entire on fire man. So uh, he runs out and, uh, you know, is like screaming and falls into like nearby water. Uh, but after being quite crispified, uh, the boys run away because, you know, why would they check on the person they just burned up? All right. Cut again. One week later, St. Catherine's Hospital. Uh, this is I like looked up who the the, the uh, one guy in this was because I he was really funny and his only credit. And this was orderly and he does not have any other roles that I could find, which I was kind of bummed about because he's very funny. So it's basically like this old guy, older guy that is a wearing a white coat. So you gather, he's like a, probably a doctor, like a, uh, what do you call it? An attending or like whatever the doctor equivalent of an yeah. intern is. Uh, and then the other dude is like an orderly who's like been there and seen some stuff. And they're basically walking side by side. And the orderly is telling him, it's like, man, I've seen some things and you're going to see some things. So get ready to see some things. It's basically what he's saying. It's like more, I'm like, uh, kind of paraphrasing, but kind of belaboring the point uh, because mostly what he does is belabor this point. Uh, by the way, this doctor, the, the, like the, uh, the new doctor guy looks like he's like in his fifties is like, you ever see that show on ABC with uh, Nathan Fillion called the rookie where he yeah. has like mid forties <laughs> decides to like change careers and become a cop in LA. Is this <laughs> dude doing a version of that, but as an older, even older guy and now doctor. Because he is yes. way too young to be fresh out of med school. Anyways, neither here nor there. The the orderly brings him to 
the room and he's like, wait till you see this guy. He's so messed up. You're going to see some stuff that's messed up like this. And they go into the burn unit and uh, he says, what is it? The worst thing I've ever seen in 10 years. And by the way, isn't the reason that they burn units are like so sealed off and they're often in like covering covered like areas is because of infection. They don't want people just poking around in there. Yeah, pretty much. Well, not this time because the orderly just like opens it up and like, look at this dude. He is burnt. But then super messed up burn arm, grab jump scare, grabs the orderly. He screams. Doctor screams and runs away. So I don't know if he's going to be a very good doctor. If he's just run from patients like that. Yeah. Anyways, screams. Uh, then we get the credit sequence. Kind of simple. Just like plain text. Uh, except the burning, which is in red text. And that's how you know it's special because it's red. <laughs> the music is awesome, though. I like I, I watched this movie, like I said, three times since we decided to, you know, cover it. And each time I would just like stay still during this just to listen to these bops. But I do put notes. Oh, yeah. I put the special effects by Tom Savini, you know, the goat. Uh, and then I said, boo, my entire mood has been brought down by several credits that include the Weinsteins. <laughs> But then luckily I don't have to uh, dwell on it too much because we have a smash cut to five years later. And talk about a rapid fire voiceover here. So you have, uh, there's like, basically I think it's two male voices and one female voice. And they're explaining like, you have to leave the hospital now that your strength is back. Uh, the skin grafts didn't take. What a bummer. Oh, you should stop presenting those kids. It was a prank. You need to adjust to your new life. Like all of these like really quick, like, hey audience, we don't have a lot of time to dwell on like this guy's motives for wanting to like kill kids at summer camp. So we're just going to go through like this really quick thing that my skin grafts didn't work. They can't keep me in the hospital anymore. Stop being so resentful. Uh, it was just a prank deal with it. Like terrible ways to do it. Cause I feel like if you light someone on fire in a prank, it's still a crime. I'm not a, I'm not a policeman, but uh, it seems crime. Like um, arson. arson. I mean, they burnt that whole camp down. Did it burn the entire camp down? Well, never mind. They burned that building down for sure. Oh yeah, his cabin, hundred percent. You know what? Actually, oh yeah, let's bring that up later. Actually, because I yeah. think during you caught you caught what I was thinking. Yes, so, yeah, yes, I, I did. Yep. Okay, okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so our boy Cropsy's out in the world. Um, it's a very like grimy, like neon lit version of New York. You know, like, wet streets, neon lights, peep shows, porn theaters. You know, all the most grimy of grime things you see in mm-hmm. old scary cities. <laughs> so, but then, uh, you know, Cropsy does arrive at a location with a prostitute. Uh, she doesn't see his face because he's like trench coated with a big old timey hat on, which I kind of wish he kept on throughout this. It's pretty rad. So she goes up to her place and is like, you coming up or what? Sailor. I know she doesn't call him sailor. She, she's like that kind of talking kind of like that. Uh, he arrives, turns off the light in her apartment, which she's fine with because she's like, I've seen guys want all kinds of lighting. And then he has the hat on. She's like, guys want to wear all kinds of things. I'm a prostitute. I've seen it all. Well, she hasn't seen it all because she sees his face and is not happy about it. Uh, I think it's like what a lightning, like a a flash of lightning is what leads her to see his face. And she's like, just leave here. And uh, she makes the fatal error of trying to grab her scissors and he's closer to them. So he grabs them. And then stabs her through the stomach and then breaks her window with her head. And the, she screams so much. There was another one of those times where it was like, I have to turn this down because my neighbors are going to 
are going to yeah, be like calling the like cops blood, on blood curdling. And I did, I did put in my notes. It's like, Hey, the scissors are like tiny garden shears. Cause <laughs> throughout, throughout he uses garden shears and these are all scissors, which are like garden shears, except smaller and for not gardens cut to a lake with some docks and some boats and some chanting in the background. My God, is this a summer camp? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, good news. There's a title card. It says it's, it's Camp Stonewater. So, yes, it is. Thank you. Thank you, title cards. I would have never known that this is a summer camp if you hadn't done that for me. And uh, what we have is a scene with a bunch of girls playing softball, uh, being kind of like ogled by the boys of the camp who are watching. One specific instance is what it's uh, Dave is played by uh, Jason Alexander and then Eddie, who are like standing right behind one of the girls. Yeah, one of the counselors, yep. No, it's not one of the counselors. They're standing behind um, uh, Karen. Oh, I thought it was the girl he liked. Yeah, that's Eddie's Eddie's girl is, is Karen. Oh, I thought she was a counselor. Uh, no. no. Okay, that's really weird now. No, the the female, the only female counselor we could is uh, Michelle. Oh. And she's dating Pod. Gotcha. Man, you gotta keep these these uh, basic white people named straight. You're gonna have a hard time. Uh-huh. Um. But yeah, but I was like, what was it like? Um, one of them says, like, would you look at that ass? It's like, yeah, man, like you're they're both staring at it. Like, this is pretty obvious. Uh, but then like uh, Dave kind of says to Eddie, like, but you can't get her to go out with you or something. I don't know. They, they're all talking in like weird 80s slang. So I don't really quite understand what he was trying to do. But Eddie goes and asks the girl Karen to hang out with him later. And she agrees, and Dave is suitably impressed. I have, to, I have to get it in my head that I have to call him Dave and not call him George Costanza. Because in my notes, I sometimes put George Costanza. I'm like, no, his <laughs> name is Dave. But anyways, there's a foul ball that's hit into the woods, which results in a girl named Tiger who runs into the woods to look for it. Uh, sudden garden shears. You see the garden shears just like being held by somebody that we don't see. Then we get like the Cropsy POV shot, which happens a lot throughout the movie. Which, I don't know what you thought about this effect. They basically took a camera and just put, like, Vaseline around the edges to kind of make it look blurred. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I think they overdid it a little bit. Because then there were scenes where the camera, where it was Albert, and it was, or Alfred, sorry. And it wasn't smeared, and it kind of, like, ruined, like, the tension building. Because you always knew it was going to be cropsy. Maybe too much. Yeah. I agree. I think that they were very inconsistent about the effect, which is kind of a bummer because as an effect, it's not bad to kind of like, but it also kind of plays your hand when you have a situation where, you know, a lot of these slasher movies that we've talked about, there's jump scares that are fake out scares. The person whose POV it was, was not the killer. And when you see the, you know, the Vaseline smeared lens, the distorted lens, then, you know, it's Cropsy. And they do yeah, find the, a way around that a couple times. Yeah, there's one in particular I think they did really well, which was probably one of the best tension building scenes. I think I know the one you're talking about, and it's pretty early on, right? We're yeah. gonna be to it pretty. Yeah, 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 that yep. one. Yes, definitely. Um, but I just thought it was kind of a funny trick because I, the first time I'd ever heard about doing this trick to use Vaseline on like a camera to give a weird effect was actually Star Wars. So in the early versions of Star Wars, when Luke was in his land speeder, they didn't have a way to hide the mechanism that was holding it up. So they smeared Vaseline at the 
on the camera to make it have that weird distorted effect so you couldn't see the mechanism that was holding it up. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, what do we got here? Oh, the girls are like yelling for Tiger to come back. They'll just use a new ball. You don't have to keep doing this. Uh, Cropsy's moving ever closer and closer, which is crazy because anyone who's walked in the woods know that you cannot walk that quietly that close to somebody <laughs> in the woods without them knowing. I'm sorry. This is no way. But so what is it like? Cropsy like raises the shears and is like ready to stab like uh, Tiger, but then she finds the ball and is like, got it, and like runs out. And I kind of wonder about this because would he have stabbed her right there and just risked everyone knowing he's out there this early? Like part of his game was like picking people off. That's part of the slasher, you know, MO. Yeah. I don't know. I think he probably would have, he would have risked it all just to get this. Yeah, Cause he hides in. the body. Oh, that's true. That is true. That is, he does hide yeah. bodies. So he might've just dragged her out and I don't know. Still though, like they'd be, I don't know. That's interesting. Let's uh next time uh, let's call up crops. So have him here. We can talk to him about let's, it. Let's put a pin in that. We'll come back. Okay, uh, Sudden Buffalo. I don't know if you remember this cut, but I thought it was very funny. It says like a buffalo yeah. head. And we're in the mess hall. It's a mess hall scene, which looks like they actually do have some actual kids there, like Sleepaway Camp did, but they're not like part of the main cast. They're just like extras in this scene. Mm-hmm. We get to see uh, Karen, uh, the girl that was being hit on by Eddie, uh, talking to Michelle, and we get our first uh, entrance of Michelle, the the count, the basically the only female counselor we get during this entire thing. And uh, she's basically uh, being warned by Michelle about Eddie. Uh, Karen is. And during this whole thing, like uh, Michelle's very distracted because Tiger's doing something weird uh, and being encouraged by the character. Sophie who's played by Holly Hunter, but we never see her during this scene. Uh, but I actually felt this scene had kind of like a realistic thing to it because teenagers always doing like random shit where you're trying to have like a regular conversation with somebody. Um, but this is also kind of a red flag scene because Karen's talking about how Eddie scares her. And she might not want to do this like overnight trip they have going on because of him. But then she also like sometimes really likes him. And I'm like, this is so sending so many wrong messages. Like, I hope this isn't the norm for the eighties because it doesn't seem like it should be that she's like, yeah, he scares me and might hurt me, but also he's kind of nice. Sometimes (laughs) this will be a great relationship. Anywho smash cut to morning. Um, one of the girls gets up to shower and, uh, I don't find out until she gets to the shower and says something to Barb that this is Sally. So uh, gratuitous outdoor shower topless scene because movies. Then she hears the sound of a door opening. Uh, she doesn't investigate it, but she does ask who's there. Um, she's like, hey, is this Michelle? You know, is this like, but then we cut to the cabin. Michelle's waking up the other girls. Uh, but all we get is a shower curtain open and she screams uh, Michelle comes running. She runs into Alfred as he's running out of the place, which is our first glimpse of Alfred. But on his runaway, he gets caught by uh, Todd and Eddie, who are also there. Uh, Todd being the um, the male counselor that we'll get to know quite well. And then Eddie being the person who, you know, is making Karen so nervous. And Karen is there. She's probably with Eddie. So, you know, Alfred is getting a talking to for being a sick and pervert person. And Todd's like, what's going on? Why are you yelling at this guy? He's like, hey, you're the one who stopped him for running away. <laughs> like, you didn't think he was up to no good at the girl's shower. And Alfred explains that the reason he was prowling around is because he wanted to scare her. Uh, Michelle rightfully yells at him and calls him a degenerate. And Todd uh, says he'll talk to him. And Michelle's like giving him this whole thing about how this kid is like a sexual predator. And Todd's like, he's just a kid. It's, it's like, 
why is Todd downplaying this? <laughs> like he was, even if he was there to play like some kind of joke, he seems to be like really talking away Alfred's bad behavior. Not a good look, but him downplaying Alfred's actions somehow works on Michelle. And then I put in my notes, uh, oh, I think they uh, are lovers in the night. Um, oh, I should probably tell you the reason that my notes sometimes seem like I'm reacting to it, even though I've watched the movie several times, is because I take <laughs> my notes on my first viewing. Nice. So there you go. But Todd is giving uh, talking to to Alfred uh, that people will be mad if Alfred does stuff like this, including Glazer, our first mention of Glazer. Uh, Alfred explains that he doesn't want to be here. All the other kids are picking on him. Um, he never wanted to come to camp in the first place. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, pay attention to the fact that he says all the other kids are picking on him. Cause I'm about to tell you they absolutely are not. But anyways, and it's like, yeah, how are you being a creep and scaring a girl, uh, ingratiate you to the other kids. Um, and then Todd explains that five years ago, I got sent home from camp. You don't want to be sent home from camp. Do you? Yeah. I don't, Todd, I can't believe hey, that's interesting. Yeah. What a weird, what a weird specific thing. <laughs> anyways. Yeah uh back at the girl's cabin here's the start of a series of scenes where everyone is just excusing alfred's bad behavior <laughs> so like the girls basically accept that alfred uh, just scared sally to get back at glazer who had been picking on him and then they all suggest that they would rather get with alfred than glazer <laughs> right and then sally who's like glazer's love interest is like why is everyone so down on glazer it's like that might as well be the subtitle of the movie <laughs> Yeah, jump cut the glazer like jesus <laughs> what's well, yeah that is actually what it, i put here it's like cruel if they to let him live smash cut to alfred getting like accosted by glazer for like you know scaring his girl and uh i like i put here that glazer has sort of a lazy tough guy accent and like a sleeveless shirt so you know what you're getting into Hey, if you if you have a sleeveless shirt tucked in your jeans, you know you mean business. <laughs> this That's... dude is not here for games. But again, like Todd comes and confronts, like covers for Alfred, and suggests that like Glazer, like what does he say? Glazer is like you wouldn't win in any personality competitions or personality yeah. contests. And Glazer's like, is like you're coming down on the wrong guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he is like he Glazer's just like retaliating. And granted, like he shouldn't retaliate. Like let the, the adults handle it but still like he has good reason to be upset with alfred at this point and then todd basically threatens glazer and tells him that uh he he wouldn't take on anyone of his own size and like is like like grabbing him and stuff i'm like man todd is coming down so hard on glazer but not on you know alfred who was caught in the girls showers right but now we cut to a squad of guys uh that consists of dave uh woodstock which is fisher stevens uh character uh alfred are uh, apparently allegedly being picked on by everyone kid and then fish um, who is an actor that isn't in nothing else. So like might as well not even bring him up, but fish is there and he, he matters here. So they're basically talking about tactics to deal with. If they fall out of the canoe during their upcoming overnight trip, that's been mentioned. They stop talking about that to ogle some girls who are on like a dock out on the water. Um, Alfred talks about how he doesn't like swimming. The other guys are like, yeah, you don't like anything now, do you? Or whatever. And then all the other guys jump into the water. Alfred does not, but then Glazer sneaks up and pushes him into the water. And th again, like everyone, like the girls are all yelling at Glazer. Dave is like, he can't swim. And Glazer's like, well, then you better hurry up and save him. So like Dave is like going to help him. So the other guys help Alfred out of the water while Glazer's jumping in to go see Sally, who's on the dock with the other girls. And she seems to be the only girl who's happy to see him. 
but she's like so barely and like yeah like barely she won't go like swimming with him because she doesn't want to like mess up her hair it's like how'd you even get out here without getting your hair wet but like in recompense for alfred's suffering dave suggests that uh wood uh, woodstock fire what is that a pellet gun or something like a bb gun of some sort at, yeah that's what it looked like yeah, yeah they fire at glazer and uh you know once alfred agrees to this course of action Dave, Dave says what m- might be the most uh, funny set of like, he's like, I'm going to give four commands. And what is it? Ready, aim, fire and run. Yeah. But they never run. <laughs> so like, what was yeah. the point of the fourth command? But like, uh, you know, nestled up against fish, Woodstock get, takes out the gun, aims at Glazer. They shoot Glazer in the, in like the butt and all the girls laugh at him. And, then Dave Woodstock and fish all moon glazer. And then one of the girls <laughs> pushes glazer off the dock. Yeah. And so like, it really feels like glazer part, yeah. is the one being bullied. <laughs> is he the victim here? <laughs> like it seems like the only person he has a problem with is Alfred and like kind of rightfully so, but like Alfred has friends. The girls don't like glazer. It's such a funny dynamic that like, they want to believe us to believe that Alfred's like the put upon nerd, but like glazer is the one who's taking the beating this entire time. <laughs> Um, all right, where were we at? Um, oh yeah, after the mooning, uh, we're back at the boys' cabin. The guys are all hanging out, just doing random stuff. Um, uh, some of them are playing cards, some of them are just milling about. Um, Dave arrives with a sack full of porn magazines, which for our younger listeners, people didn't have the internet, so they used Playboy and I think Hustler is the other one that the guy has. Yeah. Those are what people use in the place of uh internet pornography. <laughs> so write that down. What what else here? Um, oh, we get a, a sudden Cropsy POV shot from outside the cabin. So, you know, Cropsy's up to no good. I mean, yeah, obviously not up to any good. What would he be doing that would be good? Like, oh, Cropsy's here, but he's actually here to collect donations for the food bank. Yeah, right. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> anyways. I'm here uh, to help with perfect victims. But, but this, is, this is another moment where, like, Glazer kind of gets, like, shit upon by the other guys because he's like saying why you guys look at them nudie bags when you met nudie mags you could try the real thing uh but then he's also dependent on dave to bring him condoms uh but they aren't lubricated so he says he's not gonna pay for them and dave's like kind of mad at him for that because it seems like dave i don't know who dave is but he seems to have connections on the outside and he has all this stuff um it's like a smuggler yeah basically like he's the one who like does the kessel run uh but then uh you know we get cropsy pov it's going to the window and we get our first little glimpse of cropsy face as we see part of what alfred sees but none of the guys really believe what alfred's saying and uh you know now we get a cut to uh todd approaching the uh, shack here's a noise don't worry it's just a bird jump scare but then todd goes get these guys because it's dinner time and glazer gives alfred a little bit more like teasing for being a weirdo and shakes his bed because of the face thing um again like i don't know they didn't see the face but only only glazer seems to be the one being mean to alfred about it back of the mess hall uh the guys come in i kind of put in my notes about how dave's just strutting around like he's like the big man on campus he's just like greeting like every table and stuff like that and like greets the the girl table like the girls who are like central to the story he like stops to talk to them and then glazer you know he stops to talk to sally his love interest um uh dave interrupts because he has to take his seat with them to for them to eat i guess i don't really understand that and then uh glazer gets mad because dave insults the way glazer talks and not for the first time 
Right. <laughs> but then when they get back to the table, instead of being mad at Dave, he like yells at Alfred for something. And Dave's like, he didn't even do anything, <laughs> which again, like Alfred is not the put upon nerd that he seems to be like. Uh, and then Dave turns around and hits on a couple of the girls. He's I figured out that he was focused up on Barbara because that is his like love interest from earlier and then from later in the movie. So I didn't know who is, Barb is was. Barbara? It is Barb. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, it took me so long to figure this out because I only said her name once and it was when she was going into the shower she was leaving the shower when uh, Sally was going in and Sally had asked her something about if she saw Dave last night. And that's the only time you get any. In- oh, Dave said that. I thought you meant, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking my bad. I thought you said Glazer said that. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Glazer? No, it's Dave. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. It's yeah. Dave's talking to like some of the girls. Yeah. 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 And um, uh, Woodstock's asking about vitamin E and all the other guys like are like, you're an idiot. Cause you believe that. Especially I Glazer. Yeah. Well, no, Fish actually is the one who's meaner to him about it. Yeah. In that in that instance. But Dave, again, as the hero of the downtrodden, it's like, hey, leave him alone. He's the champ or whatever. Like he's like, yeah, leave just, my champ alone. Yeah, leave my champ alone. Like it's like Dave is just like <laughs> the champion of the downtrodden over here. It's like so. Anyways, uh, Woodstock leaves to go get vitamin E. I guess they there's another counselor who is not Todd or Michelle, and I didn't get his name in the credits or anything like that. Actually, I don't think he's named in the credits, but it's the only other counselor that we see. He's trying to quiet the campers. Um, Todd has to use his like his force of personality to quiet them. So this guy can give uh, some exposition about the three day overnight canoe trip. We get some scary music and Cropsy POV watching Woodstock as he goes back to the cabin. And conveniently, the light doesn't work. So he has to go find his vitamin E in the dark. Uh, cut to the boring counselor continuing to talk about like sticking with your buddy uh, I said, put in my notes that won't go wrong. It will go wrong. Many people will be murdered um, mm-hmm. back uh, to Woodstock and the Cropsy POVs approaching the cabin door. Uh, someone enters the cabin and is walking in it. And this is very scary because they do a lot of good stuff with darkness in this movie. Like sometimes it's frustrating, but sometimes it's effective in moments like this. It's effective because yeah. you can't see what's going on and you can hear something's approaching and Woodstock's like hiding, but then he turns on a flashlight only to be jump scared by Todd, <laughs> which is kind of a funny situation because um, Todd, what was it? Todd was told by fish and glazer that was uh, Woodstock was sick. Yeah. And then he goes back and he yells at them. It's like any excuse to yell at glazer is like, you know, Todd's going to take it. Um, but yeah, so Cropsy never approached. He's still out there somewhere. Then we get to what that, now we get to the canoe scene, which is kind of a funny scene. And it's not a horror scene, but it's just kind of a scene that shows like that these people all kind of know each other and have like a fun relationship is um, like Dave insults Woodstock's performance at rowing and everyone laughs at him and they start like a little paddle splash battle, you know, yeah, between splash the, fight. Yeah. Between like the five canoes uh, when they're on the water there. And it's kind of a fun scene, even though there's weird bluegrass music playing during it. Um, like deliverance <laughs> that was, like that's why that's the vibe i got was that the vibe yeah it's like it's like well, what, the like, music vibe it was like yeah six canoes of like kids at camp like having a splash yeah. fight with their paddles and one of them like sinks right which was kind and of even funny. michelle's like we're supposed to be paddling not showering or whatever right some yeah stupid line yeah, yeah something like that <laughs> yeah yeah it's it kind of fun it was like it does show that they uh, it's like a cool like little relationship between these characters and 
something we don't get a lot of in the movie. Um, cut to nighttime campfire. Todd is telling the story of Cropsey at Camp Blackfoot. Hmm. Yeah. Where have we heard of this Camp Blackfoot and this Cropsey before? Hey, we'll come back to this because this is wild after the reveal. Yes. 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 And even uh, talks about the garden shears during the story. I mean, do we want to just do it now or do you want to go till later? I don't know. This is our second, like our second hint that something he was in. All right. Let's just I mean, say it. Let's yeah. just say it. They, he, people figured it out by now. Yeah. Todd was the, one of the kids. He's one of the ones who was yeah. involved and we didn't get his name at the beginning because it cut the part where he said his name while they're asking, they reveal it later. So Todd was yeah, one of the campers. And it's like, hey, kids, come sit around this fire and let me tell you about the time I tried to murder some guy. Yeah, let me tell you about the time that I disfigured a man for life. Like, yeah, unapologetically, I'm going to tell you this funny story about this camp that I burned down. Yes. Well, and, that, and that's the other thing about that, too, is there's a very specific thing that he says that's what exactly. It's like, um, uh, don't look, you'll see. Don't breathe, he'll hear you. Yeah. Don't move, you're dead. That's like the last like sting of the story. Yep. And he says that, and it's important because it's going to come up later. But yeah, the idea that he's telling the story about the time that him and other co- like campers like m- just destroy this man's life, and now yeah. he's doing it for laughs, like at this thing. But what was it? Oh yeah, then uh, the climax of the story, like during that "you're dead" thing, uh, someone jumps out with like a fake knife and uh, like a bloody mask Eddie. on. Yeah, it turns out to be Eddie. But I I don't think that Todd was in on that because he seemed to be trying to grab him. Like he was trying yeah, to like, I don't know. I don't know if he was in on it or not. It's kind of hard to tell. But in any case, everyone was scared. But then after they realized it was Eddie, they all laugh and cheer. And it's like the music cue is like an 80s like sitcom. It's very, a very fun moment. But anyways, uh, later on, uh, Eddie is out walking with Karen in the middle of the night, even though it looks like it's daylight for some reason. Spoiler alert. The reason is because they filmed all the night scenes during the day. <gasps> you don't say. No. Yeah. Basically, all of them. If it's not. If it doesn't involve fire, it was shot during the day. <laughs> so this is going to get real gross real fast. Like Karen explains that she's not super comfortable with her relationship with Eddie because how he brags about all the women he's been with and she doesn't want to be just like another one. And then Eddie is like, whatever, I'm going to go for a nighttime skinny dip. Do you want to come? And she's sort of reticent about it. But Eddie uh, is just like, whatever, do what you want. I'm going to the water, um, which I guess prompts her to go to the water as well. A lot of gratuitous shots of her getting undressed and stuff. It's not super great. Um, then in the water, uh, they like kiss, but then she pulls away and she's not sure what she wants. Cropsy's out there watching because you see his POV with the smeared Vaseline. <clears throat> Eddie is like, why'd you even come out here? If you don't want to kiss me or whatever. And then um, she pulls away. And is like, uh, he's like, then you get out of my face or whatever. Like, like I said, he seems like a really good dude, like trying to like pressure her into the situation. Uh, so she goes back to the shore because he told her to leave. But when she gets there, she finds that her clothes have been stolen and they've been kind of like strewn about throughout the forest, resulting in more gratuitous nudity as she tries to gather her clothes. She's calling out to what she thinks are some unseen like pranksters. It's not a prankster. It's a murder dude. Eddie is just continuing to swim. And then uh, Karen, while picking up her clothes, sees some shears. There's a lot of instances where I question the geography of 
how you can see the shears before they stab you while you're doing something else. They happen a lot. It's like Cropsy teleports next to them. Doesn't matter because <laughs> Cropsy has the thing, uh, cuts her throat with the shears, and then uh, she's like bleeding out through her throat and stuff. It's like a pretty gnarly blood effect. Not as effective as something like in the Prowler. I think it's hurt by the darkness. Like the same way yeah. that the um the darkness helps with like the uh the tension scenes. I think it hurts scenes like this where the special effects are kind of like harder to see. Would would you agree? No, I totally yeah, I totally agree. This was too dark, and there's a couple other times where it's like, okay, it would have been cool to see what's going on. Um but yeah, like the blood effects. Which is are weird because really they, they even filmed it in the day though, which is like yeah yeah it's just the use of shadow there it's like it's probably to cover up like right like if it they thought the effect would look bad but here's the thing you hired tom savini it's not gonna look bad buddy put some lights on that he will figure it out anyways that's another thing i think is probably a victim of like what i think was a rush production schedule because there are other instances where tom savini had announced that something about the production like didn't give him time to put the work where he wanted it to be and I wonder if that's the same for some of these kill effects, which is kind of a bummer. But anyways, morning arrives. Uh, Todd and Michelle wake up Eddie, uh, ask where Karen is since he, uh, he was the last one seen with Karen. Eddie asks if this is an interrogation. And I put in my notes. Yes, clearly it is because she's missing. Like, yes, it's an interrogation. Um, and that's when like Michelle like kind of reveals that, you know, oh, Karen was afraid of you or whatever. And it's like kind of a weird situation because at some point during this thing, like they're both kind of coming down hard on Eddie. And then Todd does another one of his back pedals where he's like, well, Hey, now he's just a kid or whatever. And like Todd, stop enabling these guys. <laughs> You're doing the wrong Damn it, thing. Todd. <laughs> Damn it, Todd. Always. And I was like, that's what I put in my notes. So he's alternately excusing Eddie's act actions, but also yelling at him. It's like very weird set of vibes here. But Eddie explains that like uh, him and Karen had like a disagreement and she had called him a few names and then went to shore. I don't remember if she actually did call him the names, but then, you know, two of the other girls as like uh, tiger. And I think Marnie uh, alert uh, Michelle to the fact that the canoes are gone. So what was it? Oh, Michelle then assumes that Karen had left with the canoes because it was one of the things she mentioned earlier was that she had permission from uh, the supervisor uh, to, if she felt uncomfortable, uh, leave the situation and just go back mm -hmm. to camp. But why she would take like all six canoes. Uh, that's another question. Right. Uh, but yeah, but the group gets gathered together and time kind of compresses here in a weird way because Todd and Michelle are asked if anyone knows anything about the canoes. They do not. Uh, for some reason, Glazer blames Alfred because he just hates Alfred and then Woodstock defends him this time. That's what I mean. Like Alfred doesn't seem like he's <laughs> like, Cause like whenever like Glazer's like, it's probably Alfred that creep and Alfred's like, what, what? I didn't do anything. And then Woodstock's like, Hey man, he didn't do anything. It's like, I'm like, Alfred's like barely teased. He seems to have several friends who are willing to stand up for him. <laughs> it's just one specific person. But uh, then Todd and Michelle go off to the side, uh, doubting their own story about Karen going back because uh, that's kind of insane that she would take all of the, all of the uh, canoes with her. And then, um, a bunch of the kids are out gathering wood for Todd and Michelle to build a raft. So that's why I said it like time seemed like it compressed between those two scenes because of the initial meeting seemed to be them about talking about to go look for the canoes. And then they talked about the possibility of doing a raft. And now it seems like the mission is switched purely to raft construction. Did you get that feeling from that? Yeah, it was, it was a weird jump. 
Like, it, it reminds me of when I played Ark Survival Evolved and I got on a raft <laughs> and someone took me out to too deep of water and I got murdered by a giant shark. Uh, kind of. <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> but then, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, you know, everyone's gathering the wood for uh, Todd Michelle. Meanwhile, Glazer is trying to put some moves on Sally. Uh, coming on strong like every guy does in this. Then what? Cropsy POV in the It'll woods. It'll make it worth it. What was that? It'll make it worth it, baby. But yeah, is that what he said? Like, Trust me, baby. Is that what he said? He said something. Something that like, like that. Yeah, yeah. It was just It'll so be, gross. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. It's like, yeah, I can't believe that the wine scenes were involved in this. But then um, we get a Cropsy POV. I love how we're like, we're not going to bring it up. We're I mean, not going to bring it up. But like, <laughs> it's like soaked into this entire movie. I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing that the fact that we said we that we were gonna try to like push through that, and not talk about it the whole time, and then that we just constantly keep harkening back to that. Well, it's weird. So, it's weird it and weird. like so off putting. Um, it taints. It taints the the tone of this movie. Yes, entirely. Yeah. Um. But anyways, uh, the Cropsy POV we see in the woods. Uh. But he, to me, it just looks like he's looking at trees. Uh, but then it turns a little bit, and then he's looking at uh, Glazer and Sally making out. <laughs> um, are, these, are these birch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I mean? Like, at first, it seems like he's yeah. looking at trees, and then he turns. He's like, oh, it's them. They're making out. And then these Sally. trees have mold on them. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, this is going to be terrible for the ecosystem. I wish someone wouldn't have rubbed Vaseline over my eyes so I could see. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so... Th- so anyways, he's looking and then uh, Sally like uh, managed manages to stop Glazer by saying, hey, later on, we'll do this later or whatever. We'll get it. We'll get this going later. And then I put in my notes. Cropsy will remember that <laughs> um, like the telltale games things. <laughs> Someone will remember that. Cropsy will remember yeah. that. Yeah. But then I said Crops, it's a quarter. Cropsy approves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cropsy approves. Cropsy liked that. Um, but then, yeah, it's like, and then, or wait, it looks like Alfred is also watching them because he's a creep. Alfred disapproves. <laughs> Alfred disapproves. He does not want this to happen later. <laughs> um, uh, smash cut to raft is complete. Um, they load up a bunch of people and it is, what is it? It's piloted primarily by what looks like Woodstock. Uh, the anchor in the back is fish. It looks like Eddie is next to Woodstock. Uh, Barb is in the one seat and then the other companion who I mentioned once during the credits, but has never come up until now is Diane. She is mm-hmm. the other person there. So there's, her, those are our people in this, uh, voyage, you know, uh, we get a kind of an interesting cut to the raft while they're paddling up river and it's going like really slowly. And it's an interesting shot cause we're so far away and we're watching them move like horizontally across the river slowly. And uh, then we get a like close up on the all of them on there, uh, very sweaty from paddling with like the makeshift paddles that were constructed for the raft. Mm-hmm. Um, so intentions are high; they're all like kind of arguing, with you, like snipping each other and stuff like that. But Eureka, they spot one of the missing canoes, and they uh, paddle towards it excitedly with renewed vigor. Uh, nothing can go wrong as they near it, right, Shane? No, it seems very safe to me. It, it seems like it would be, but guess what? Sudden Cropsy. He stands up, shears so gleaming good. in the sun. <laughs> I put yeah. that in here, shears gleaming in the sun. First slash <laughs> uh, cuts off, uh, or no, slashes fish across the chest. 
stabs uh, uh, Barbara. Uh, she falls into the water, presumably dead, I guess. Uh, cuts off like three of Woodstock's fingers. Uh, Eddie uh, had fallen back from a stab, but then he gets stabbed through the throat while he's laying there in a pretty gnarly and entirely visible scene. Like, thank you for finally a murder scene that happens in daylight. Uh, goes to Diane, uh, just like slashes her through the f- entire forehead, fa- like like slices open her forehead. And it's kind of messed up because she had been there alive until everyone else is dying. So she's like right. by then splattered with everyone else's blood. And uh, there you go. There's the, some unseen killings, like because of the blood splatter you saw on Diane throughout. And let me tell you, that was a five kill spree. He went on with garden shears in record time. <laughs> and these people had oars. They could have reacted like they. The, so. How do you want to do you want to talk about the kill of the movie at the end or do you want to talk about it now? Because I, I mean, this is it. This is it. This is it. This like is it. Yeah. The raft massacre. It's like, so the yeah. reason this so, movie was like banned in the UK or something. And the speed at which he popped out of that canoe. Like, it was, so I thought they were going to find the body. Um, so I didn't expect the canoe scene. Um, so I was pretty, pretty happy that that finally happened. But Again, you brought this up in the Prowler. The Jason Voorhees coming out of the lake. Um, the Prowler coming out of the pool. And then you have the same kind of effect here with um, Cropsy popping out popping of the canoe. Popping out of the canoe, yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. Um, you know, pretty interesting like correlation there. But so I, I was trying to come up with a name for the segment. Um, you know, because our, our uh, friend of uh, and, uh, you know, fellow supporter of the show, uh, Andrew Curry came up with this idea and I'll credit him for this. Uh, so I was thinking we could call it like the McMurder of the movie. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to th- keep playing with uh, names, but just trying to honor him. In McMurder deserving, of the uh, movie. <laughs> a deserving manner. So we'll uh, get a moniker. This is it. it. But yeah. This is the, definitely the McMurder. Like the, yeah. the way that he like pops up, like dispatches them with like utter swiftness with a pair of garden shears, which are not easy to wield. Well, I mean, right. he was a caretaker. I guess he probably wields them like a, you know, symphony, but still. Yeah, but like the, the, they're really sharp on the inside. So like this guy's really doing a lot of work. Which is interesting because every time that he does like a slash or like a swing, he does usually do it with the inside, like with it fully open. So like it's the inside mm-hmm. only, which is a cool attention to detail that they do. Yep. The only time he doesn't do it is later when it becomes important why he didn't do it. Right. So anyways, five kids are dead. Uh, oh, yeah. Cut to uh, Todd and Michelle. Uh, they're being romantic in the woods. And actually, this is a very funny scene to happen right after the uh, the massacre on the raft because she like, asks him like something like, do you think the kids made it back all right? And he's like, oh, they're probably back right now. Yeah, I love that when they're like, oh, that would be fine. It's like, how many ways and how many ways can Todd be wrong about things if this yeah. is something he's going to say? Um, he did set a man on fire, so. That is true. He did set a man on fire. <laughs> but we as the audience don't know that yet. Yeah, right. Then, uh, I don't know. There's some something weird. Like, they, there's this long romantic sequence before them of, like, her tickling him and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it's implied that they go off to get busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't see it, but I think that's what they suggest is going to happen. It's like, it's a little bit of time before nighttime. We don't have to go check on our kids uh, who are probably getting murdered. 
Cut to what is supposed to be night, but clearly isn't. Glazer and Sally are having intercourse uh, in their weird sleeping bag on the forest floor thing they have going on. Glazer experiences... Uh, how'd you phrase this? Uh, the three-pump chump? Yeah. He, he, uh, he's, done, he's done with a swiftness that rivals uh, the Flash himself. <laughs> then uh, Sally is like, is that it? But then, you know, Sally says something like when she's kind of being kind of mean to him, which in this case, you know, Glazer, you like figure it out. But then uh, she indicates that she's cold, but will stay with him, which makes him happy because at least, you know, he can like salvage this evening and will perhaps try to do intercourse later. Um, what was it? Oh, yeah. Uh, we get Cropsy POV watching all of this. Uh, the fatal mistake that Glazer makes is that he's going to go back to the campsite to get matches to make them a campfire. And it's kind of funny because, like, what, the instant that Glazer is gone, Cropsy emerges. Yeah. Like, he's literally, like, still on the horizon. <laughs> like, he's not even, like, passed over the next hillside. And Cropsy's out, like, anyway, Sally, time to kill you. And then uh, she actually puts a fight up. She's, like, holding on to the shears to try to stop it. So we don't really see her killing, which is interesting because, you know, Tom Savini usually likes to give us the kills. But, uh, you know, it cuts before she's actually killed to Glazer back at the campsite, trying to get matches, shuffling about Alfred being the creep that he is, uh, opens his eyes and is watching. But then as soon as, uh, Glazer looks at him, he closes his eyes, like, like his eyes close like instantly. It's like, mm-hmm. he had to have noticed that his eyes were open. Uh, it is Glazer. So, well, it is Glazer. That's true. Wow. Man. Even you, even you poor Glazer, man, he can't catch a break. <laughs> But anyways, uh, but Alfred, uh, you know, then follows Glazer because he's a creep. Uh, when Glazer gets back to the little uh, sleeping bag area, uh, she's covered and with a with a sleeping bag, so she doesn't appear to be instantly dead. Uh, but then when Glazer is slowly lifting the sleeping bag, uh, right when he gets to the part where he'd see, I guess, her fatal wound, which again we never see, suddenly he sees shears instead. Because again, like Cropsy has a sense of the dramatic. He wants you to see the shears first. <laughs> the shears, what stab him through like the upper chest, lower neck area. And then yeah. like straight up lift him up off the ground and carry him towards a tree to pin him to the tree. It's like very, very, uh, you know, uh, Michael Myers kind of thing. Is that something he did in the original Halloween was just like pin a dude to a wall. Yeah, with a knife or whatever. Yeah. Was that in the original mm-hmm. or was that in the Rob Zombie one? Or was it in both? No, I don't remember. I don't know. Rob Zombie, write in. Let us know which Halloween that was in. Yeah. Fan of the show. Fan probably. of the show, Rob Zombie. <laughs> Can't confirm that, but. Well, you know, who 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 can confirm anything these days? Yeah. Anyways, um, Alfred having a. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I just read my note. I was reading it. <laughs> All right. What I put in my note was Alfred having peeped too close to the sun runs to wake up. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, like he, he was following open for but, open. For but a, he knew exactly where Todd was too. <laughs> he did. He did. Like he ran right to where Todd was. Yeah. Well, I gather that Todd was back with the other campers by then because Todd was trying to keep him from like talking too loud. To, so, to not wake up the other campers. So oh, okay. I don't think That's that Todd fair. was in a separate location with, with gotcha. Michelle at that point. I think they'd come yeah. back at nightfall because they'd mentioned they had enough time before nightfall to get back to camp before they went off. For oh, their... so they, had, they had common sense. Got it. Yeah. 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 A little bit of it. 
Todd doesn't have a ton of it, but he has some. But yes, but anyways, Alfred having peeped too close to the sun runs back to Todd. Uh, Todd asks him what time it is. It's clearly daylight, you idiot. But no, we're pretending it's night. Uh, Todd uh, assumes it's one of Alfred, Alfred's tricks because Alfred is the boy who cried wolf uh, by trying to scare people all the time. But they he follows him out anyway to stop, basically to stop Alfred from flipping out. But they get there and they do find Glazer's body. But once again, Cropsey is upon them. Like, Cropsey's always there. Like, he's mm-hmm. just, like, hiding out behind a tree waiting for the right moment. And he, I thought it looked like he'd gashed Todd's forehead, but he doesn't have the wound later. So I was wondering if he hit him with the blunt end of the uh, of the shears. What was your take on that? I thought he did, too. Maybe there was just blood on it or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. or he just, yeah. So he hit That's him with a blunt end of the shears to just knock him out. Like, he'd done it on purpose. But then we get Cropsey's POVs. He goes to hunt down Alfred. But then it's daylight, and the raft is floating back down river again with the bodies on it. The remaining campers are all like in a group, you know, Dave and them, like, oh, they're just doing a joke or whatever. They're getting in trouble, and they're mm-hmm. found out for this joke. They all think it's a bit. And Michelle goes to swim out to them. You know, Tiger asks Dave what is, uh, what's really happening because the people aren't moving. They're starting to understand that maybe something is messed up here. And this is kind of a funny moment because Michelle gets to the raft and then like grabs one of the uh, arms there, but it's a severed arm (laughs) and she pulls it out (laughs) and then like it gets blood all over and then like also out of nowhere, Woodstock's corpse like pops out of the water, like, like a buoy and just like, like, like runs right into her. And at that point you see his throat was slashed. You know, there's other wounds were happening that we didn't see on the thing. Um, but then, oh, fate. This is an interesting one. Fate to total red screen. Cause they like, like the screen goes red instead of like changing to the next scene, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, but then it cuts back to the remaining campers at camp. They're all crying (laughs) and understandable reaction. (laughs) Like everyone's crying about it. Uh, Todd says that he wants Michelle to go back to camp, uh, and get him some help. Uh, he needs to go find Alfred. Oh yeah, I hadn't said it, but when Michelle was swimming towards the ra- uh, to the raft, Todd was somehow now on the other side of the river and had come up to like an embankment and watched her and was trying to stop her from doing it because he could tell mm-hmm. that there were actual corpses. So Todd's back in the in the on the case. So at this point, um, Alfred is like hiding like under some rocks. Cropsey's above, very much a that scene of Lord of the Rings when the hobbits are hiding out underneath the road and the ring raids are above them mm-hmm. <laughs> except this was before it i guess that's uh, a good reference <laughs> well thought- so what's weird though is one of the well sorry one of the wine uh, bob weinstein worked on lord of the rings who's a producer so oh no the wine scenes return but in any case there is oh i, I thought it was funny because like <laughs> Alfred's hiding under the rocks underneath Cropsey. And you also, all you see is Cropsey's like feet and then his shears. I'm like, don't forget the shears. We got to see him. That was a cool, that was a cool shot. <laughs> it was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, cut to the raft now being piloted by Michelle and the remaining campers. One of them is, you know, Dave who had survived at that point. I think the others, the only others would recognize are like Marnie. Sophie is played by Holly Hunter. I think most of the other like recognizable characters who aren't, you know, back at the old camp are kind of dead. Most of the other ones are right. kind of background ones. 
all of the all of the campers who are helping the paddle are like very distraught and crying and, and like very sweaty. Like you get the idea. This is a very difficult uh, ride. And this is an interesting series of cuts because it cuts between them paddling and then Todd and his pursuit of, uh, you know, of Alfred Cropsey. Uh, the, yep. the boring counselor, when they get back, doesn't believe Michelle. It's like, oh, this is a joke, right? But then he really notices that many of the kids are crying. <laughs> He's like, oh, wait, something did happen. I thought it was funny about the scene is that was like the longest run up to someone to talk to them. <laughs> she, she like she runs like down the, for the dock the dock runs like, over and then runs up the, the yard up the stairs yeah. <laughs> like yeah it's like there are dead people we have dead kids like yeah it was very funny she could have just shouted maybe <laughs> i don't know thought that was kind of funny uh then we get back to alfred who's still on the run uh he's climbing up the hillside to like a weird concrete building and you know then it cuts between like michelle and the other counselor on their uh way on uh, back to the site of the body discovery, at least the former campsite on an outboard mm. motorboat. And Alfred is like ducking and running between these concrete structures. And I'm very curious about it because he's often peeking around the corners. And now I know that the ending of this takes place in a copper mine. Are these concrete structures part of the copper mine? Or are they just like an, a structure that was out in the woods and he's just like running through it? I think that they were, I think it, I think it would have to, we're supposed to think that that is part of the copper mine. I mean, it would, that's where he went in. That was the same entrance. So I, I would, I would assume it has to be. Then I guess I'll bring this up here is that this is an interesting thing is the climax of this movie was supposed to take place. There's a lot of like disagreement about where it was supposed to be. Like if it was supposed to be in like an abandoned boathouse or an abandoned cave, but there were too many bats. And it's an argument of whether it's too many bats in the boathouse or too many bats in the cave. Um, <laughs> but while the production company was like scouting, they found this like abandoned, actual abandoned copper mine. And that's where this entire thing takes place is in that copper yeah. mine. So end of the day, it is in the copper mine. But whether or not it was a boat, it's supposed to be a boathouse, supposed to be a cave, how involved bats were in the change. It's never quite clear. So, yeah, at that point. um, it's kind of weird because like the way I told you Todd was or Alfred was like peeking around the corners when he's like looking at like concrete wall, I'll peek around and then I'll move around. He goes to a corner, peeks around, moves around, and then Cropsy grabs him from the other side where he just was. So again, I think Cropsy just like appears. He just like he just like uses like shadow step to just show up in random places. <laughs> uh but uh when he when he's grabbed, uh t- uh uh propsy um alfred does alert todd to his location uh and i do remark that todd now has an axe and that is uh chekhov's axe because it's gonna come into play hell yeah it is i don't know if it's like chekhov's axe if todd's just carrying it but in any case he does have sudden axe and i did not know where it came from but cropsy uh takes alfred into one of the mines and like pins alfred against a wall with the shears, which uh, like, but through the arm this time. So he's not fatally. It was pretty gruesome. It was pretty messed up. Yeah. It hurt him pretty bad. And it's later seen. If you're wondering like, why would he keep him alive? It's like, at this point, the end game is here and Cropsy clearly wants to lure Todd in. So he like puts a gag on Alfred, but not so much that he can't yell for help and make some noises, but enough that he can't like, 
you know, telling him, tell him anything really. So it's the game is afoot. Yes. This is it. This is the end game for the, for the Cropsy. Then we have like also moving through the, the concrete walls is uh, Todd. He eventually comes to an opening, uh, which goes inside of the old mine. Um, I don't really know how he found it. It was like, he heard the sound of like falling rocks and he realized it was hollow or something. It was kind of a weird situation. I did write that it's pretty effective how the darkness is used here again, because you know, Todd didn't bring a flashlight, doesn't have a torch. He can't see anything. So he's like walking around. He stumbles a bunch of times. Um, yeah. Yeah. He comes to an area with like a mine cart. And I was like, oh, is he going to go on a Donkey Kong country ride? No, he's going to jump out of the way of it. But then when he jumps out of the way, he discovers Karen's body, which has been strung up there. It's kind of weird because it's the only body that um, was taken, you know, to this location at this point. Well, I guess we don't know where Sally's is. But um, yeah, it was just kind of it was kind of a weird like they I it I don't know. I think they just used it for effect. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to set up like a thing where they maybe they want to do everybody that hadn't been like discovered so far would be in different yeah. places like some movies do, but they don't go the whole way. We only do see Karen's in that regard um, at this point on the other side, somewhere in the mine, Cropsy lights up a flamethrower and is walking around with a flamethrower. I'm like, oh, man, I guess he's dealt with his I don't know trauma from fire that he's now willing to wield a flamethrower around and you know todd grabs his axe and readies himself but seeing the flamethrower uh, is when todd starts to get his flashbacks to when he was with the boys that were planning the attack on cropsy but this time the last kid is not the kid we saw last last time it's todd so todd was there it's so like todd ready he's like yeah ready or whatever mm-hmm and we start to get little glimpses of Cropsy's burnt head between the slots of wood as he's like walking around with the flamethrower. But another clever move by the old Cropster. Uh, once Cropsy gets close, he turns off the flamethrower. Todd can't see anything. So, you know, he knows that his enemy was advancing. He knows that he's armed. What should he do? That's right. Start calling for Alfred again. Because <laughs> uh, he has no object permanence. He doesn't realize Cropsy's probably right by him. But then Alfred does make some noise, but he's gagged again. So um, sudden full cropsy face around the corner with a flamethrower. And this is our first glimpse of the full cropsy head. Uh, how would you describe the cropsy head? I liked it. I thought it was cool. Uh, I think they, they did a pretty good job at like um, kind of like, I mean, he, he looked burned and disfigured and it was startling enough that you're like, holy shit. So I, I think the hat would have made it though. The hat would have been super sick, but yeah. I, I do remember reading about, um, like, I agree. I think it looks pretty cool and kind of messed up, but also kind of otherworldly. And I know that Tom Savini said he didn't have enough time to like do the burnt head makeup the way he wanted to. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, because he said something like how it looked more melted than burned. And I'm like, I see that, but I think that it's effective that way. Like, I think that the way that it looks like it's like candle wax dripping, but like the candle wax is flesh. <laughs> yeah. But there's also been five years of surgeries and other stuff too. So it's not fresh burns. That's true. Yeah. They could have been doing some real Frankenstein stuff to this guy's face. Yeah. Like skin grafts and whatnot. Yeah. So I, yeah, I agree. I think it's very, very gross and crazy looking. And then this is another one of those like, kind of cross-cutting because uh, Michelle is on the motorboat yelling for Todd. Um, not that's going to help at all. Um, back to Todd doing battle. Kind of an interesting tete-a-tete here where uh, Todd's swinging an axe and then dodging flames. 
than the flamethrower. Uh, he definitely seems like he's outmatched here. And then there's additional flashbacks here. And it's a flashback to the kids on the raft being killed. And I'm like, are we seeing Cropsy's flashbacks for some reason? Like, I didn't really understand why those flashbacks were coming other than to remind us about something that happened. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I didn't really get it either. But but yeah, at that point, Alfred uh, frees himself, which means he unpinned himself from being <laughs> stabbed uh, through the arm. And he manages to stab Cropsy with the garden shears, uh, truly hoisting uh, Cropsy on his own petard, as they say. Uh, stabs <laughs> him right on like the upper back, kind of towards like the neck. So presumably you think there's some spine in there. Yep. Um, and that's when we start to get the upbeat, uh, I said upbeat stadium organ music <laughs> as the <laughs> helicopter arrives at the campsite where they were when Michelle's down there. But as Todd and Alfred are making their way out, sudden Cropsy from behind, but Cropsy's unarmed. Um, so he's dispatched rather swiftly and brutally. Todd, uh, sticks an axe into his face like just like swings an axe entirely into his face but just to make sure he's dead alfred picks up the flamethrower and just burns him again well it was weird it's like all right alfred burn the evidence (laughs) you know what i mean it's like (laughs) well i mean like in 2022 alfred and todd would have went to jail let's just be real they would have went to prison well he definitely should yeah definitely shouldn't have burned this corpse of the guy who was murdering people like it was (laughs) Like, even if you killed him in self-defense, you can't be doing that. No, it's the guy that we beat to death with the axe and lit on fire. That's the murderer. <laughs> the poor guy set on fire five years ago. Which is funny because Todd has a, one last flashback to that scene while he's watching Cropsy burn again. I know. And then we get a nice long shot with a couple of different angles of Cropsy's body pinned to the support beam and burning. So, he's definitely dead. We have no... no uh, Mysterious or supernatural uh, comeuppance in a sequel. Then the final scene, they we cut from that fire to a campfire, where there's another group telling the story, the exact same story, and it ends with mm-hmm. that same final line: the uh, you know, don't look, he'll see; don't breathe, he'll hear you; and then don't move, you're dead. And then that's it, credits. And I put like, oh, it's some minimalist credits again, kind of boring, but at least we have those sick beats. Those sick beats. Yeah, and that, my friends is the burning so what what are we gonna do next should we do the judgment categories yourself that's good that's a good yeah. one yeah all right well as, you can hear the effects in your voice you can, hear, you can hear the effect um as our listeners know the judgment categories are uh story acting effects writing and cult factor that x factor that makes these movies so special we assign a letter grade to each of those things so this is one of the one of those times too where i wish we'd put music in here because music would be an a but um, yeah, I, th- I think you could probably lump that into effect, maybe. Yeah, because I, I, I treat music as another part of the 
We could make it a part Is of it? writing because you write music. Yeah, maybe. We'll figure it out. Or we just add another category. Six categories? That's so many categories. Yeah. Although we could get rid of story and just make it all writing. I don't know. We can we can talk about that when it's not us yeah, burning podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. But Touche. Story. What do we think? I I liked the idea of this and I liked that they used an urban legend. You know what I mean? Like they tied in a lot of stuff that was happening around that time. You know, the actual Cropsey person. Um what some of the stuff was a little like okay like it, it was almost like it was written for people that don't like horror movies or never really watched a bunch of horror movies because they i know you're gonna talk about this so i'm not gonna steal your thunder but i'd probably i'd say solid b to to a but um i i'm leaning more b but you could push me to an a but i i think it's to me it's a b uh no i'm gonna agree with you that it's it's b um i think that the <clears throat> the ways that it kind of subverts the genre, you know, with like having a final boy instead of a final girl, um, you know, having the final boy, like usually the final girl is like, you know, that's where the whole thing comes from. It's like, oh, she's pure and innocent. And like, you may should feed it and said he's a major creep. Like, that's interesting stuff, but I don't think it's enough to really set it apart. It's really just kind of right. like a revenge killing thing. Um, right. not a lot of twist to it. Okay, yeah, I think I'd go with B. Like, I think I'll be a little kinder to writing because I like the dialogue more than I actually like the story. Like, I think the story's a little basic. So, yeah, I'd say B. B for basic. Yep, good. And also, like, that Cropsey story, literally around the same time, uh, a movie called Mad Men. Mad Men came out. And I almost mm-hmm. did Mad Men instead of this. Or almost, B- I guess I wouldn't say did it because I'd have to ask you to do it. But I almost yeah, asked you to do that instead. <laughs> I think it'd be interesting to compare the two. We might have to add that to our list for a future viewing. Yeah. Can't be any more troubling than some of the stuff in this one. Yeah, really? Uh, acting. Um, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm leaning towards an a on this one because those campers were never very annoying to me the same way that they were in like sleepaway camp or something like that. And instead I was like, thought it was kind of funny and I thought it was really funny how like everyone just hated Glazer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it was just like it's like literally every person on this entire earth hates this dude and stuff like that. And um I don't know, like I think the only probably one of the weaker performances is actually Todd because he couldn't decide if he was going to be defending the boys or if he's going to be chastising the boys. But like as far as this, I think the campers performances elevate it. Because I really feel like there's something very naturalistic in the way that they acted. So if you take Jason Alexander out of this, I think you get closer to a B, but his star power kind of pushes it well past A for me. So, oh yeah, you could you. see that you could see the Dunstan checks in on the screen here. Like, yeah, it's no wonder that movie was the greatest hit of all time with this man right. in it. So I think it won the most Oscars, right? Yeah, it uh, yeah, it's won the most Oscars, most Oscars after Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Nice. Is that the actual? <laughs> I don't actually know what the real movie is that won the most Oscars. But um, yeah, we're on to effects now, and I usually let you take the lead on effects. So I don't know what to do because what we did see was great. It did seem rushed. So like, I don't want to critique of 
Like, I feel like if we critique the effects, it's not a critique of Tom Savini. I think it's more of a critique of the filmmaking process of this because I mean, the raft scene, you saw broad daylight, just straight up murdering, right? Yeah. It was all well done. Um, the only, the only time that I thought it, it was a little, I could tell it was a dummy. Like, I mean, obviously most of the, like most of the kills were on dummies because of the stabbing. Well, not all of them, but I could tell when they you can't killed, go around um, stabbing people. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. When they, uh, uh, when they, Eddie, when they killed Eddie, you could tell that it was a, it was a dummy and Eddie was below it and his head was kind of just sticking out of it. That was the one. Yeah. That was kind of rough. Yeah. But, but at the same time, like I, I understand why they did it and it didn't look bad. I just could tell, um, you know, then obviously when Cropsy burnt the first time you could tell that they had the burn suit on and stuff. So, I mean, there's not much you can get around that stuff, especially in, in the early eighties. I think they, perfected a lot of this stuff in the mid eighties to late, late eighties, you know, and even Tom Savini himself has said that, um, he wasn't given enough like time to, to set a lot of this stuff up. I hate to give it a B because it's him. So I don't know. You could talk me to an A it's, it's really close for me. It's like right on the edge. Yeah. Some of those kills. Oh, and dark- the lighting, the lighting is like, didn't they, the, the filmmaking didn't help him. Yeah, and, some and he, of the darkness effects like were like really hurt him in a way that like the Prowler shows like the considering that the Prowler in this came out like the same year. Yeah. Like the the gulf between the effects in those two is like kind of wild to me. But I do want to make a play for A on the grounds of everyone but Eddie on that boat, which is pretty gnarly, like him slashing different people and stuff like that. Like those effects were like real time. Like cutting someone's chest, cutting someone's face, and stuff like that. The forehead. Yeah, yeah. that was messed up. And then yeah. the uh, the cropsy face, which again I thought was really good. And finally, the um, the uh, axe to the face. Yeah, I forgot about that. That, that axe was, to the face was yeah, rad. That was wild. <laughs> like I rewound I mean, that. I was like, I want to see that again. That was a sh- that looked like an axe to an actual face. <laughs> Look right there. I'll I'll give you the. Yeah, we'll do it. That's so that's my the only thing I would say is a play for an A. I agree with you completely on like the scene where, you know, Eddie is falling back onto the raft and then like there's like a little bit of a jump where he's clearly now below it and like the false neck is above it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is kind of iffy. So I, if you really want to be, I'll go for a B. I, I still nah, kind of want to give it an A because like like you can still see the passion and the effort that went into like some right. of the stuff and uh, like I got to reward that. I'm not trying to be like a fanboy, but if this wasn't Savini, I probably would have argued back a little bit, but um cuz what you do see is great. So, no. Cool. Hey. We're doing an A. We're doing it for Tom, for Tom Savini. <laughs> um for writing uh the only thing that I wanted to bring up during this, there's a little different was the um was the dialogue, but I feel like I kind of gave the dialogue its due during acting. So it's kind of hard to do it again. Cause like, that's what I mean. Yeah. Between story and writing, I feel like we kind of cover this. Mm-hmm. So that's why if we wanted to. Yeah, let's do it. So next time we'll do story and writing can be one. And then we'll just add music in place of writing. So that'll be our fifth category. All right. So this will be music now. Now, nah, I mean, Oh, next time. Yeah. Let's do it next time. All right. Well then this time it has to be a B because again, 
like I gave the the dialogue it's due during the acting portion because it's the performances that I think that make it work and make it sound sound so good. I, I feel like the writing itself was probably minimalistic, and the story was very basic. So yeah, so you going to be B. So one thing too, I think we need to talk about. I think we should call it audio because I had to have subtitles on because of how poorly mixed this movie was, and I. I Again, with it's crazy the Prowler came out at the same time because there are scenes where you can't even hear the people talking because of how loud everything else is. Like literally, I felt like when they were filming in that mess hall that they were just like, "All right, everyone hit their plates with their forks," like repeatedly, and so you can't hear any of the dialogue. So, um, I I think we should make it audio with music being a huge part of that. But I think we should take an account for the whole. Um, kit and caboodle. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. That makes sense. So here, here we are, audience. You just heard the evolution of something new. Yeah, but for this time, it's B. Yeah, for, <laughs> sure. for sure. But but here we are. We're on cult factor now. And yeah, I, yeah. go ahead. I I gotta go A on this because number one, I did not know that a young Jason Alexander, a young Fisher Stevens. You know, young Holly Hunter. I did not expect any of this. Like, there's a lot of like star power, like budding star power here. And even with the shadow of what we know about the producers who did this leaning on it, like, you know, the idea of like this maniac out here just like hacking people up with garden shears. Yeah. <laughs> and like he's dedicated to that bit until the very end when he gets to his final dude. He's just like, and now it's flamethrower time. <laughs> like, what the hell just happened? So I, I don't mean, know. He's so committed. Even the scissors, right? What was that? Even the scissors. He's so committed. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's like, well, I don't have garden shears, but I do see scissors. And those are basically like baby garden shears. Yeah. For your head. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. There's something about like just the unhinged nature of this entire thing that i kind of want to give an a for cult factor to it i'm fine with that i i think this is that's why this category is here it's to kind of highlight the the weird the wild you know so i I like it i just don't know if i'll ever get over uh seeing him like knowing his garden shears are the thing that's high like that's holding alfred against a wall that he just like comes out with a flamethrower like yeah, walking right. around this mine with a flamethrower, I was like, "What just happened? How did this happen?" And then you, and then you like the other is like, who's facing off with him? It's like, it's Todd with his axe. It's like, what are we about to watch? It's like watching like a like a dwarf from the mines of Moria going to fight a Balrog. Like you're not gonna yeah. win this one, man. He's got fire. But yeah, so yeah, the something about like the unhinged nature of that that just gets to me. Agreed. But now that we've gotten through all of our categories, <laughs> you know what it's time for now. No, what's it time for? The da 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 d roll. How was that one? That was, that was good.
Yeah. Hopefully you do some effects on that because otherwise it's going to be pretty embarrassing. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> As our audience members know, the D roll is our final hat on a hat. One last thing, a little coupe de grace where we uh, decide if a movie is a cult classic, a, a yeah. B movie, a grindhouse, or a trash. But what was so important that you tried to interrupt me while I reminded our listeners of what our categories are? The grace, the grass, the, or the grace, grace thing. They <laughs> can't even say it. Coupe de grace? That's actually, I pulled that from uh, whenever I used to play one of the like Dragon Ball Z Budokai games on like PlayStation 2. Uh, uh, Mr. Satan, Hercule, he would be like, yeah. Coupe de Grace. <laughs> it's like super funny. <laughs> so that's why I say that now. That's fair. <laughs> so, um, yeah, do you want to? I usually lead on this and I feel like I never give you a chance to lead on it. So, do you want to make a play for the D roll? Hmm. Let me think. If I were to, if I were to put this in a category, it's a call classic. I mean, come on, it's got to be. He jumps out of a fucking canoe and murders five children like, like, on a raft, a, on a ra- on a makeshift <laughs> makeshift raft. So and he yeah. does it so fast and with garden shears. With garden shears. But then we learn that that is probably why he uses those because he tries a better weapon later and does poorly. <laughs> And hey, if any of you have ever been on a raft or a canoe, the the amount of balance this man has is staggering. He's standing on a canoe. That was a bad pun. (laughs) Staggering. Because he's probably (laughs) floating back and forth. But anyways, yeah, he's standing on a canoe, perfectly balanced, garden shears, murdering five people. Yeah. Like, get this man the Medal of Freedom. He's stunned. (laughs) He's done uh, he's done a, a task that cannot be matched <laughs> oh my god and then later when we see like the aftermath he had severed an entire arm on that yeah he definitely he chomped was doing that work <laughs> those things are sharp well that is true they are well he would know he was the caretaker yeah right of what uh it was camp blackfoot was the initial camp and then the new camp was what was the new camp called camp so, Stone stonewater right yeah stonewater so and also just like the the reckless abandon of the of Todd being able to tell that story of him like trying to murder someone like, like that's as the most, things are uh, happening I know one of the most psychotic things I've ever seen by a side character is turning the time you disfigured a poor man into a campfire story to tell your your like campers that's psychotic like honestly Todd may not have killed anyone, but he's a villain. He's, For sure. There's a villainous bent to him. Like there's like the, there's like the, the extreme example of villainy where he like turns his victim into a uh, urban legend. There's like the more like understated, but like still incredibly sinister villainy of him excusing all of his male campers from their like, like sexually predatory ways. Like he's a bad dude. I do not. I don't know. Well, like, like, why is he our hero? Oh, I like when Michelle earlier said, like, "You're such a pushover," and I feel like Todd's like, "I fucking burned a man. <laughs> I burned <laughs> like, a you man." Know I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, sure, I'm pushing over a guy who's on fire to some into a river. Then you tell yeah. me who's the pushover. <laughs> but I do wonder. Oh, I do yeah. wonder, like, if there was ever any chance for like prequels or something or sequels to this, <clears throat> because we don't really know where like camp stonewater is in relation to 
New York City. Like, how many summer camps did Cropsy go through just massacring people before he found one with one of the kids who happened to have burned him now somehow like a counselor at that camp? Like, Well, he did say that Blackfoot was close to this one. Oh, yeah, they did say that. It was like it was across off the, the lake. lake or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. so it's close. So, But I, I think it would be cool to have other movies in this, him going after the other kids. Yeah. Hey, movie makers, make so, more Cropsies. Yeah. The, Definitely. the the road to Todd is what it's called. You'll eventually to get Todd. to Todd. <laughs> but yeah, cult classic all day. Like it's yeah, for sure. An unhinged element to this movie that I love. <laughs> so I guess that brings us to our uh denouement, as it were. Yeah, so um this this was again, this was the last part of our summer try slash a thon. Summer so, try slash a thon. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be moving into um ching 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 that's the sound of <laughs> slashing oh nice yeah so we're going to be moving into the late 80s so why don't you tell us what we're getting into oh yeah i mean why not uh we're going into i believe it's 1988 uh film it is killer clowns from outer space a lot of people love this movie so i'm pretty excited to go through this so um it's definitely one that i watched when i was way too young to be watching it yeah and i didn't know it was pg-13 which is crazy but um, i was actually surprised by that too i i literally the only reason i knew it before this recording is because i looked at it on tubi before we started yeah. recording and saw that it was pg-13 so wild. i was like i remember a scene in this movie where there's people encased in cotton candy and they're drinking their blood from it like, how is this PG-13? <laughs> Excited to see more. But then again, you know, like, Jaws was rated PG, so who knows why anything is anything. It's like, parental guys, hey, that shark might get you. Yeah, man. So, Wait till I make yeah. my play for us to do Jaws 3D, since this is the 40th anniversary of it this year. Oh, my God. Is that even a horror movie? Well, it's pretty horrible. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That is true. And uh, that, that is, reminds That's me of the reason that we, I brought up uh, Killer Clowns in the first place is because this is the anniversary of, uh, I think it was May, was the th- uh, 35th anniversary of the film. Oh, cool. So, yeah, uh, awesome. Now, right now, I will say really fast, listeners, run, don't walk. Uh, it is on Tubi, but it is in their leaving soon category. I don't know how soon that is. And I also know that Tubi sometimes loses stuff and gets it back pretty immediately. So just warning you, it is on Tubi, but uh, get there for it. Um, Other than that, it is on Roku channel. Um, I believe it is on Pluto TV as well. Um, I'm seeing it on uh, what here. Uh, Amazon prime. I don't know if that's requires you to pay though, because some of these services don't tell you have to pay for it or not. It's not a bunch of niche ones like Spectrum, Showtime, Redbox, you know. I don't know what Optimum even is. Um, so, but I don't know how many of those require you to pay for it. Uh, but, you know, Pluto TV and uh, and Tubi are definitely free and they're definitely there. So um, I will actually tweet if it leaves um, Tubi before our next recording. and. Um, Shane, I'll let you know so you can like retweet it on the main like dark yeah, side sure. drive and that's uh, Twitter fair. handle. So yeah, well, I'll try to keep nice. track of that to like nice plug. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm good at this thing. I'm like a professional <laughs> now. But yeah, 
Um, I'm at Dark Schneid on. I guess it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. Sorry. Uh, I I not. We're not. I'm not doing it. We have to do it. Elon Musk will kill us if we don't. <laughs> He'll kill our show. Kill our souls. He'll. <laughs> He'll attack us, us with Mars. a flamethrower in a mine. Yeah, it's true. The whole thing. Do you think Elon Musk is cropsy? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I could tweet him and ask him. He'll probably respond. Honestly, we'll probably get yeah. mad at you for tweeting and not posting. Because mm-hmm. why take a branded thing? That's well, now it's called. Your it's going to be called Xing, right? I don't think so. Because like a, you're like a retweet is now a repost, and I'm like that's not. That's not like tweet. If a, if it's just a post, that tweet is the thing that made it unique. I post on everything. Mm-hmm. I don't tweet on everything. I, I don't know. Well, so if it's a tweet, so what's the past tense of a tweet? Tweeted. Damn it! I thought I'd get you. You thought you'd get an English major with a crude joke. Based yeah, off I did. Of I, d- I did. Not on this day. Not on this day. There may come uh, a day when the courage time. of men fail. But it's not this one. That's not the that's not the quote at all. I don't really like Lord of the Rings that much. I can't be helped. Dude, you've mentioned it like five times this episode. I was gonna say something, but I'm like, you know what? We can keep moving. What Lord of the Rings? <laughs> yeah. It's cultural osmosis, Rings, baby. Man. I can't avoid yeah. it. It yeah, just becomes a part of me. That's fair. So hey, um again, follow us on Twitter. Uh all the support and feedback's been awesome. Thank you. Keep it coming. Um, you can find us at Darkside Drive-In on Twitter. Stefan's at Dark Schneid. Again, not Dark Schneider, Dark Schneid on Twitter. Definitely not. And, um, definitely not Dark Schneider. Yeah. <laughs> and then so again, next next episode we're doing Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Um, I think that's all I had. I don't know if you had any parting words of wisdom. Uh no, not really. Um if there's you know, if you listen to this, uh, you know, contemporaneously, um, there's a movie that's out in theaters. It's been out for a couple of weeks now, so who knows how long it'll stay there. Horror movies don't stay in theaters, uh, but I've heard talk to me in theaters is amazing and I kind of want to go see it. So I'm hoping to get to see it. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about that. It's just rare cool. to get like a good theatrical release for the horror genre nowadays. Um, so it's cool to hear about that. I'm also going to yeah, wa- so- probably also watch Last Voyage of the Demeter just because I love Dracula, but I don't think that one has that looks as good. good. Yeah, I don't think that one has as good of a reputation, but the- I do love myself a good uh, Dracula movie. <laughs> like I saw nice. Renfield earlier this year and loved every second of it, even though it that was, was kind so of good. like an okay movie. <laughs> so- I thought it was good. No, no, that's what I mean. Like, I, I don't think like I feel like my uh, opinions of movies are like there's such a wide gulf between my opinion and popular opinion that I have to like, you know, put an asterisk on every thought I have. It's like, Hey, this may not be for everyone, but I do love a little bit of Dracula, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> have to qualify it with that kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. But no, yeah. Like, uh, so I just wanted to talk about that just cause I'm hoping to write reviews about those, but I still haven't done my unwelcome. Ones, so <laughs> we'll see what happens. Gotta stop promising this stuff, man. I know. I'm just going to apologize <laughs> for the rest of my life for yeah. failing to live up to expectations. <laughs> Shall we sign off, my lord? <laughs> me lord three, me lord. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've been Shane. And I've been Stefan. Uh, something about spook, spooky stuff. Maximum spookery. That was a good one. It was good. Got it. I like that. I want to make that my ringtone. 
should. I can do that for you. <laughs> All right, bye. See you.